The GameCube Was Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube Was Cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tiers. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters for the month of October. I Rebel, Dan Wagner, Jed Winters, Christopher Valenz, Joey Sirico, and Resident Evil Collector. The GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. All right, Mike, I think it's time that we uh, we lose a few listeners here. I want to know, because I, I don't know this about you, what's your favorite fast food burger? We don't go out for burgers very often. You and I love to go out for sushi. That's kind of our main meal of choice when we go out with friends. So it's been a long time since we've like been out for Wendy's, Harvey's, McDonald's, uh, Arby's Nights, which they don't do burgers, obviously. They're more of a roast beef sandwich place. But uh, if you had to pick right now, gun to your head, what's your favorite fast food burger? You know, surprisingly, it's an easy one, Neil. It's Harvey's for me. Harvey's nice. is a Canadian uh, burger chain that I don't believe is in the States. Also not really in the West Coast of Canada either or anywhere else. No. I, I, I seem to only see Harvey's in uh, Ontario, but I, I love a good Harvey's burger, yeah. mostly because I can choose what I can put on it, mm-hmm. which is a big thing for me. Uh, I hate mayo, and okay. so many burgers, uh, like people will put some kind of mayo on it, and I, I don't like that. I wanted to ask you about that too. How do you feel about, I mean, fast food restaurants are, I guess, their own thing. But like when you go to a restaurant and you order a burger, how do you feel when they put the ketchup, mayo, or and or mustard on for you? Hmm. That's a good question, Neil. I hate you know, it. <laughs> <laughs> because sometimes I like it. You know, I like okay. I like it. It's like, I like my food to be prepared. It's nice. But but sometimes it's, it's too much. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I feel like you shouldn't put ketchup and mustard on if you're a real restaurant like no. you should let the customer do it themselves absolutely because that ketchup and mustard is put on the table i can do that like if your burger's being served to me with like a garlic aioli sauce or something like that or barbecue sauce or something you you put that on in the kitchen that's totally fine uh but like i went to a restaurant a couple weeks ago and the burger automatically had mustard on it and i hate mustard on mm. burgers like i still ate it and everything and it was fine like i could kind of i can i can still eat it i like mustard on certain i don't like mustard on burgers so mm. if i had known that i would have said no mustard and they put the ketchup on too which is fine like i'm i was going to do that anyway but yeah i was just thinking like man i do not like it when when you do that for me and you're totally right about harvey's i love that uh, you can go in and ask for as many pickles as you want um, most Americans probably think like you automatically go to Subway when you think of like putting together your own sandwich. Harvey's is way better than Subway quality wise. Their burgers are flame broiled, which is amazing. And yeah, you're right. I don't remember seeing any Harvey's out, uh, out West. I remember another burger joint though that I meant to check out, but didn't, I think it was called like fat boy burgers or something like that. I'm trying to remember. Mm-hmm. It was a very derogatory term for the burger restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of those in Edmonton. Uh, my choice is also a uh, Harvey's for a fast food burger. Mm-hmm. The best burger I ever had, though, this is like in an actual sit-down restaurant, was a restaurant called The Scran and Scally, which is in Edinburgh, Scotland. Uh, Ooh, and yeah, okay. they serve Highland Wagyu beef burgers and chips, so fries. And my God, dude, I don't know if it was because I was jet-lagged, but that was the best damn burger I've ever had in my life. Uh, if you're a listener out there and you live in Edinburgh, I'm super jealous of you because that place is so dang good. It's it's not a chain. I think it's just a t- it's like, <laughs> it's just this little pub like in the middle, like on the outskirts of the city. And my aunt and uncle took me there. And I my, love stuff like that. God, it was so good, dude. 
And uh, from America, though, uh, an American chain, Fuddruckers, is my favorite fast food chain in America. There aren't many of them, but their burgers are darn good, too. They're very good. Yeah, on the East Coast, very good burgers. Yeah. Can we agree that McDonald's sucks? That's that's for another day, Neil. That's, <laughs> that's when we want to lose more listeners. But for today, we do have a Patreon topic to talk about instead of McDonald's. All right. Sounds good. Listeners, remember, if you want to support our show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube is cool. We have a $1 and a $5 a month tier. The $5 a month tier gets your name read in the credits at the beginning of the episode, and you get the option to submit an opening topic, just like Jed, who wrote in. And Jed wants to know, for the new Mario movie, how did they do with this cast? And would you change anything? Also... If other Nintendo characters show up, like Link, Samus, Yoshi, Diddy, etc., who would voice them? Also, looking for Wario, Waluigi, Toadsworth, Daisy, etc. That's a heck of a cast. So That's uh, a big cast. That's a huge cast. Listeners, if you for some reason are living under a rock and you don't know, Nintendo announced in one of their recent directs uh, the cast for the upcoming Mario movie, which I believe is scheduled to come out Christmas of 2022. Chris Pratt is going to be voicing Mario. Charlie Day will be voicing Luigi. Seth Rogen is Donkey Kong. Anya Taylor-Joy will be Peach. And then Jack Black as Bowser. So, Mike, how did they do with that cast? I think they did pretty good. I think Jack Black as Bowser is a, is a solid one for sure. Perfect. Um, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy is Peach. She's she's kind of the the it girl right now, so that that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's a great great actress. Um, I don't really love the Seth. Uh, not love. I don't like the Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong. <laughs> that feels really weird and unnecessary. Yeah. Um. Uh. Charlie Day is Luigi. That's a good one. Perfect. That's choice. a great one actually. Yeah. yeah. Perfect choice. Uh, and Chris Pratt as Mario also feels a little strange to me. It's so weird, dude. I couldn't. It's a really weird. It was so hard for me to take the rest of the cast seriously when Chris Pratt was the first face that I saw on on the screen as Mario. It made no sense to me, dude. So, so I do have a pick for Mario, Neil. Okay. I would love Adam Driver to play Mario. Wow. Adam Driver. Okay. Why? Like the deep voice and everything? I think he's got, well, I was just going to, he, you know, if he had a mustache on, okay. he would kind of look like Mario. I, I can, I can see that. He's got very black hair. Mario has brown black hair. hair. No, isn't it brown oh, hair he, with uh, black mustache? Brown hair. Isn't that the whole thing? Yeah. His hair does not match his mustache. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I just, I, I just could see, I know I, something in me envisions Adam Driver as Mario. I really... I really like that one a lot. I want Harrison Ford to be Mario, just so that Harrison Ford can, for the rest of his life, wish that Nintendo would just die. Or Miyamoto, because that seems to be Harrison Ford's thing, where he hates every role that he does. I don't know who I'd pick as Mario. After hearing Charlie Day as Luigi, my mind just kind of went to, I wish that they just leaned into the Always Sunny in Philadelphia cast to play the Mushroom Kingdom, like Danny DeVito as Mario. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know any of the other actors' names, but I think that would have been hilarious if it was just, but keep Jack Black as Bowser. That's a perfect casting choice. Rob, Rob McLean, he could be he could be Donkey Kong. Sure, I could see him. And, like, and, yeah, yeah. Anybody could be Donkey Kong. His his tone has kind of changed a lot in the last yeah. decade to fifteen years. It has. It has. Check out the Donkey Kong animated uh, series. Oh god, that is. <laughs> he's got a terrifying voice. Yeah. But for other, um, but in terms of other cast members, mm-hmm. um, we had a lengthy discussion about Waluigi for the Waluigi biopic coming out in twenty twenty four. Of course. Uh, of of who would play him. Uh, we would we'd love Sasha Baron Cohen. Adrian Brody was brought up, but Adrian Brody is our number one pick for Waluigi, of course. Hundred percent. The rest of the characters are a little more difficult, like Lincoln. Zelda. Other than Wario, Wario has to be Danny DeVito. Yeah, I mean, but Danny DeVito was already Mario in my perfect Mario movie. Oh I, yeah, he, see, honestly, and he's both. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah, he would be both. <laughs> That'd uh, be really good. Be, 
who would be Toadsworth though? That's like uh, because it's just someone who's dead or basically is dying. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, and, and like really screechy and annoying. I'm trying to think, who would be Toad? I'm really bad who at casting. Not like. <laughs> I'm really bad at casting movies. I can't think of anybody to be Toad. <sighs> I would like maybe like Zendaya to be Daisy. Okay. Now is this live Never action? Be- now that you're thinking, or voices? This is voices, but I'm also thinking live action because that's who people who look like them. I know. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I can't separate the two. <laughs> that's very true. Very true. Samus. There was a live action mm. Samus kind of YouTube video, and I'm trying to picture who that was. If Kathleen Turner's still alive, mm. uh, who did um, the voice of Jessica Rabbit nice. uh, in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, if, mm. she, if she's still alive, I would love her to play Samus. Cameron Diaz from The Mask Era would be nice <laughs> to play Samus. <laughs> I'll even take Tara Strong. Yeah, she could still take a great. Uh, let's 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 get real voice actors to do some of these. That'd be nice. Actually, Tara Strong yeah. would be a good Toad. Oh yeah, you know what? I, I like that. Tara Strong is Toad. Tara, Stro- <laughs> Tara Strong should voice all of them. How about that? <laughs> yeah, Link Zelda is a, is a tough one because uh, Link doesn't talk. Yeah. So there's that, and then for Zelda, uh, she has had voice in the past, but. The Breath of the Wild voice is, eh, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, no, I'm not a fan of that. Link, it'll be older Link, and it's going to be Owen Wilson. Okay. <laughs> okay, I like that. Can we have, can we have like, Sir Ian McKellen oh, yeah. as Diddy? Ooh, I like that. <laughs> Just really change it up. And then Patrick Stewart as Yoshi. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Actually, I really like Patrick Stewart as Yoshi. <laughs> and who are we missing? Toadsworth? Uh, Mark Hamill. <laughs> Mark Hamill's Toadsworth. I like it. Lock it in. Lock it in. Um, I, I was I was also going to say, uh, maybe not, uh, if Sir Ian McKellen is unavailable mm. uh, for the role of Diddy, I would also like to uh, to have Idris Elba, who also has a great <laughs> voice, uh, and, and who at one point was considered to be uh, a good chance to be Bond, but I know he yeah. doesn't want to be Bond anymore because he thinks he's too old. But Idris, if you're listening, you would be a perfect Bond. I would love you to be Bond. He's a handsome. Please. He's a handsome man. I think that he's probably like many actors. Even Daniel Craig wasn't hyped about being Bond when he first started. I think it's no, because you're kind of you're tied to it yes. forever, right? Like at least a decade and or to, to fifth, ten to twenty you're compared years. Compared to everyone, yeah. like you're compared to all the other ones. So it, it's it's a thankless job for sure. Yeah. Um. And uh, Idris is enough work as it is, I'm sure. So he's like, nah, he's I'm good. He's doing all right. He's doing all right to pass on that one. But thank you so much, Jed, for writing in. We really appreciate appreciate that topic i love stuff like that casting imaginary movies is something we love to do i need to get better at it because i don't know enough actors name by name i know their faces uh, and also most of the actors i know are old as hell now so like anytime i have to cast a young actor i'm like i don't know <laughs> it makes it way too difficult mike what? patrick stewart as everyone <laughs> patrick stewart the best actor <laughs> of all the time same voice. <laughs> he can't do any different he really can't it's, it's just patrick stewart's <laughs> yeah, I voice know. yeah mike while you were away i was checking some of our statistics really quick i've noticed that the uk have finally eclipsed canadian listeners so we now officially have more european listeners than we do canadian listeners so shout wow. out to europe for uh listening to us we don't know any of you but we really appreciate you tuning in considering the fact that we're covering only north american games that's pretty cool uh, maybe sometime yeah. in the future we'll look at some of the uh, the PAL games, uh, the PAL-only games. But for now, uh, we really appreciate the support. We've had some good UK expats on our on our show, too. We've had Andy, uh, mm-hmm. who's been on. We had Kate Gray, who is on as well. So mm-hmm. you know, we got that UK support, even with our guests. My mom is British. Maybe someday I'll bring her on to uh, talk there to me go. about... Uh, she played Tetris once when my brother was in the hospital when he was like 10. So she's an expert, clearly. She's an expert at Tetris on the Game Boy. Yep, that's for sure. <laughs> 
Mike, I think it's time for our favorite segment. What do you think? I think it's time for the mailbag. Mailbag. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to leave us a review, you can do so on any of the podcast services of your choice, or you can just send us a message on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We will read them on the podcast, just like Mike, who wrote into us today. Well, Neil, we got a great review on Apple Podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts USA, and this is from JK Grace, who gave us a five out of five, saying an instant classic. Nice. Super fun podcast about a classic console. The hosts have great conversations and people phoning in is fun. Mm. Yeah. I, I'm I, I'm really glad JK Grace brought up the people phoning in because... I've noticed, Neil, a lot of podcasts like to do the format of you have one person on, they're on for the the whole hour and a half or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. and the conversation just ends up being like three people in their basement talking about nothing, (laughs) and it's pretty boring to listen to. I like to think that we're almost like a talk show. Um, yeah. Uh, Conan O'Brien. You can be uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Great. Uh, yeah. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, we, we, we bring people on. We have conversations with them. We talk to them a bit about the games. And then we let them go back to their lives. We set and, them free. Uh, yeah. We set them free. And obviously sometimes we'll have people on for longer uh, when they have more to say. But I, mm-hmm. I, I think we have a good format. And I like when people acknowledge it. So thank you, uh, JK Grace, for acknowledging that. 100% agree. Yeah, we love to format the show like a radio show or a talk show. And also you put a hell of a lot of planning into lining up all the callers. That's mainly you doing that because it's a lot of your contacts and uh, scheduling when people are coming on. So it is a lot of work behind the behind the scenes. So yeah. Thank- I'm really good at guilting people <laughs> when they come on to stuff. Yeah, I remember you talking <laughs> to me about this game once at a party and, I, and uh, now you need to talk about it on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, callers are definitely important for our show and we have a couple callers in today. So let's move right along to episode 68 of the GameCube with School podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. We're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. So far, we have covered 321 games. Wow. You can visit thegamecubeiscool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. And Adam Driver. And Adam Driver. Last week, we covered the Bond games and Spy Hunter to celebrate the release of No Time to Die. Finally, that movie's out. This week, we are covering the Capcom 5 to celebrate the 18th anniversary of Beautiful Joe, I think? Uh, I think it's just because... Because we want to talk about Capcom 5, Neil. It's time. It's definitely time to talk about Capcom <laughs> 5. And also because Resident Evil 4 is coming out next week. Yes. And Resident Evil 4, of course, was part of the Capcom 5. But we have to do its own episode. And it's, you know, it's a Halloween episode, Neil. It's it's almost the best season. It's almost Halloween. Oh, it's the perfect season, man. I love Halloween. We're right between Thanksgiving and Halloween, which... The Capcom 5 was a collection of uh, five games developed by Capcom, obviously. Not a boy band. Would be a great name for a boy band, though. Mm-hmm. And those games included games like Beautiful Joe, Resident Evil 4, Killer7, PNO3, and Dead Phoenix, which was actually a canceled game, which we'll talk a little bit more about. So we're going to be covering Beautiful Joe 2 and Beautiful Joe Red Hot Rumble today, just to keep them in theme. But before we talk about those games, Mike, let's talk about Capcom 5, the concept of Capcom 5, and how uh, a bit of a bust it was as a marketing tactic in the 2000s. Yes. So Capcom 5, um, like you said, Neil, a collection of five games planned to be exclusive to the GameCube. And um, it was really uh, a partnership that Capcom and, and Nintendo had at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Capcom and Nintendo had worked quite well in the past uh, with a lot of SNES uh, entries uh, and you know, things were ramping up. Capcom, this was, I, th- I think some might say, uh, somewhat of a golden age for Capcom mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in some parts at least. Uh, 
Uh, and Capcom has always pretty much had a, a, a hand in the game industry for as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. And they're having a resurgence right now, which is nice to see yep. because they realize that people like remakes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And um, so, yeah, like you said, the announced games, Dead Phoenix, Killer7, PNO3. PNO3 is actually the third announced game. That's why it's called PNO, product number three. Mm. Um, Resident Evil 4 and Beautiful Joe. Mm-hmm. And they were things were very promising in the beginning. Uh, trailers were shown to showcase the games, which made gamers made them pretty amazed to see how the entry to the new generation would be. And uh, they displayed the GameCube's true graphical capabilities in these mm-hmm. demos. Uh, as development was in progress, ideas did end up totally changing. Uh, and of course, Dead Phoenix was canceled. Uh, and the game's success after release was very short. And this is why you don't hear Capcom 5 talked about that much, because they didn't sell well on GameCube. Mm-hmm. And when that happened, Capcom decided to port the games to PlayStation 2 because, of course, at this point in 2003-2004, it was by far the more profitable console uh, of the two. Uh, mm-hmm. Only PNO3 remained exclusive on the GameCube, and Beautiful Joe got a sequel, mm-hmm. uh, which got released on the GameCube and PS2. Despite the games uh, having PS2 ports, a lot of gamers still claim today, and, and uh, you and I as well, that the GameCube versions are actually far superior. Yes. But possibly one of the biggest reasons for the GameCube's demise was probably the breakdown of this relationship and all developer relationships. There were a lot of bad ones. Uh, you think of EA, Disney, mm-hmm. Ka- and then Capcom. Uh, that really hurt Nintendo, you know, losing these developers and losing this exclusivity mm-hmm. uh, for these contracts. And it was really only Sega that ended up carrying the torch uh, yeah. for Nintendo. We talked about that in many episodes past. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's the, the brief kind of summary of of capcom 5 of course we're going to talk more about it with the guests who come on today but yeah that's it Neil. yeah you covered it incredibly well i'm impressed i didn't i didn't have to say anything there that was great uh i just my my take on it i love capcom uh you mentioned how capcom were big with nintendo in the snes era i think back even further with the nes with Mega Man. yeah and they were very like the Mega Man games on nes were extremely successful and this is an era of Capcom, which we don't see developers do anymore, and it's so sad. And it's one of the things I said in our previous episode about how I love original games. I love original IP. I don't love the sequel, the sequel-itis, I guess, that we're seeing right now in video games and movies to a large extent as well, obviously. Uh, this was a time when Capcom wanted to break away from their sequels that they were doing. With the exception of Resident Evil 4, uh, they were very much in this, this uh, cycle of re- remaking Mega Man and resident evil games obviously they wanted to branch out open new studios uh, invest in new ip and we got uh what four new ip here which four new four potential new ips like like to announce that Mm -hmm. can you imagine a game developer announcing that today no like Uh, like at e3 we have four (laughs) new uh four new ips plus uh, a a sequel to an ip that everyone loves this would be no, I can't imagine that happening. And this is what I don't like about the video game industry anymore is that this doesn't happen. It hasn't happened since 2002, and I don't see it happening again. Like, imagine if uh, Insomniac or – like, Insomniac is actually a good example right now. They're making Spider-Man and now Wolverine uh, and obviously Ratchet & Clank for the PlayStation 5. Those are – that's one IP, the Ratchet & Clank, that's been around for almost 20 years now. And then that's Spider-Man that's been around for like 100 years. And then Wolverine, who's been around for the better part of 60 years. Like they're not... I love 1914 Spider-Man. Ooh, love 1914. <laughs> Spider-Man noir. Um, but they're, they're not like 
Insomniac is never going to come out and say, we're making five new IP for the PlayStation 5. <laughs> like, it's, it's not going to happen. It'll never happen again. No. And it was very uh, bullish of Capcom to do it. I respect them for it. And it was at a time when uh, they were trying to recreate this partnership with Nintendo. It obviously didn't go as planned. This was uh, in a year when, uh, just prior to the Capcom 5 coming out, uh, Capcom was expected to report 103 million US dollars in losses in the fiscal year of 2002. It ultimately ended up being 163 million US dollars that year. So they That's not good. No, 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 not at all. So they were in extreme financial trouble uh this year. This was before the resurgence of Resident Evil with 4 and 5 and 6 which are not good games, but they sold incredibly well. So those games actually did save Capcom from probably bankruptcy in all yeah. in, in all honesty and we did see capcom come back strong in 2017 when they put out resident evil 7 it always seems to be resident evil that brings them out of the uh, out of the out of the ditch uh but also monster hunter came out really strong as well and then yes. they've always had games like marvel versus capcom which is an inc- street fighter always yeah. you know has a huge community forever and street fighter 5 sold quite well mm-hmm. at the time yeah and they've been putting out Mega Man collections for the past few years which have been a nice <laughs> the little past 20 years <laughs> <laughs> they just keep putting Mega Man out and they don't want to give him anything new to do um but yeah i'm really excited to talk about these games today and capcom so uh let, that's enough rambling let's let's move on to the games so first though i think we need to welcome a guest to the show mike who's joining us today well neil uh we do have a guest joining us you are correct our friend of the show brian is going to be joining us to talk about the capcom 5 but more specifically he's going to be talking a little bit about piano 3 uh so brian what would be your favorite capcom game uh well first of all thanks for having me back again um of course. and i guess my favorite game would be resident evil 4 for capcom yes. uh oh. i mean i still have very fond memories like and back in the day like like you would go over to a friend's house after school or on, like a weekend to hang out and um now generally you would play like smash or or, or whatever on uh specifically gamecube but for me like we even like put on like resident evil 4 and like i remember like like just with with my friends having a blast just playing that game uh so <laughs> mm-hmm. i have very fond memories of that and uh i'm glad that they're making a remake uh or remaster of it as well uh depending on what you want to call it or how capcom wants to call it and uh so yeah i'm excited to see a new generation of people enjoy that game uh i'm excited mm-hmm. for people who have played the game previously to also uh hopefully play resident evil 4 again when it when the new version comes out yeah, we're we're really excited for Resident Evil 4 and the remake. I think it is going to be a remake because they've remastered it already. It came out on Xbox One and PS4. That was just a remaster. I think it was like a remaster of the Wii version or something. So uh, we're definitely overdue for a remake, which Resident Evil 2 remake was great. I played the demo for RE3, so that's going to be fun. So yeah, RE4 is going to be like the biggest game of the year that year, especially for Capcom. So, But this week, we're going to be talking about some Capcom 5 games. Specifically, we brought Brian on today to talk about a game that he played, which was PN3, which was released on September 9th, 2003. It's developed by Capcom Production Studio 4. Uh, it's published by Capcom. It's a GameCube exclusive, the only Capcom 5 game that remained a GameCube exclusive. This game rates a 6 out of 10, priced today at around $90. It's set in a science fictional space colony compound. The game follows a female mercenary fighting against berserk robots. Uh, the game was directed by Shinji Mikame. Uh, to avoid similarities with Devil May Cry and Resident Evil, the game does designers emphasized defensive and rhythmic maneuvers and a delicate feminine game world. This is an interesting game, and uh, I've never played it, but Brian, you have. So tell us, what do you like or not like about PN03? PN03 was like a game that 
you know when you make like a, a group project and they're like all right like <laughs> it's due you know on a certain date and they're like oh well okay well let's just like slap as much as we can and and just make do um that kind of feels like this game and there are fun elements <laughs> yeah. and good elements in this game but it, it does you can tell it feels very rushed um so i think nowadays when you mm -hmm. if you were to let's say play this game you would see shades of devil may cry uh you would see some bayonetta in it uh mm -hmm. and you know for anyone who's looked into the game it parts parts of it were borrowed onto uh mikami's new game uh called vanquish later on uh, and yes. so you, you see a little bit elements of that, but uh, there is some parts where you feel like, okay, the, this is a game, but it also feels like a tech alpha in some ways. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, if you ever look up uh, gameplay footage of this game, for, first of all, you are a mercenary uh, called, I believe it's Veronica, if I, if I remember correctly, oh, Vanessa, Vanessa Z. Schneider. And you're mm -hmm. in a cyborg suit, which the suit looks actually looks really cool. And you'll see a little bit of a resemblance in Vanquish as well if you were to play that game. Uh, but basically, mm -hmm. you shoot plasma guns. You have like these specials where you shoot missiles and these giant beams out, which is all really fun in games. Uh, the problem with the game was that you couldn't dodge and shoot at the same time. So you would have to shoot mm -hmm. and the, you'd see missiles come at you. And if you didn't time the dodge correctly, you just get you just eat missiles even though you see it from a mile away. So there are frustrating elements mm -hmm. on that. Uh, the game actually is quite difficult for probably the yeah. wrong reasons in some ways, just because of the <laughs> fact that the controls were kind of sluggish. Mm -hmm. Just because of the fact, but the dodging was actually pretty cool. I thought the jump animations with the with the dodges were actually pretty cool. It, I think they just needed more time, and time wasn't really on their side, especially with their announcement of Capcom Five and how ambitious it was uh, at the time. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, it, it's it's a game that I don't know. Like, if I don't know if I would pay ninety dollars on eBay to get it, but if you have <laughs> no. Dolph, if you have Dolphin or something like that, maybe yeah. boot it up and you know they have some upgraded graphics and stuff like that on Dolphin too. So maybe give it a shot there. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I don't know if ninety dollars is worth the price tag. And it's uh, eventually, if you play something mm -hmm. like Vanquish or Bayonetta, you would be like, okay, like this is good enough for me. I love I love the the group project analogy because <laughs> that's exactly what this is. And the person that did the most work in that group project made an overly hypersexualized female character, and then the rest of the group just slept in, did no work until the last day. That's like, but the one person that worked really hard just made a character whose ass could shake and had big boobs. Like, I was getting major Bayonetta vibes just looking at this game. Like oh, yeah. it feels like a like. We're going to talk a little bit later about Killer7 and its relationship to No More Heroes. This game feels like uh, PNO3 went on to make Bayonetta, which is close. They made, like you said, Brian, they made Vanquish, which a lot of these elements went on to that. But yeah, definitely an over-sexualized character in this game, which is all right if that's what you're into. But I feel like after that, the game does go downhill pretty quick. And the, uh, yeah, you say Bayonetta, her her dodging, like, is exactly the same where she does her little cartwheel. Like, as soon yeah, as I saw that. Yeah, the cartwheel looks pretty similar, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's also yeah. a combo meter, but uh, mm -hmm. you have no melee attacks, so you have to string, like, guns into more guns, but it wasn't, like, <laughs> super satisfying. And No, not like Devil May Cry. There's a really annoying, yeah, exactly. Like, they tried to make it not close to Devil May Cry. It's funny that they're from the same company. The game itself also encouraged combos, quote-unquote, but it wasn't a... Uh, anything remotely satisfying and you'll see um actually mikami went to uh platinum games afterwards and you know they made let's say bayonetta as well as uh metal gear rising revengeance also comes from platinum mm -hmm. 
which mm-hmm. yep. uh, also encourages combos, and they also do like this the slowdown thing where you dice everything up. So there are really fun factors in those games. Uh, none of that is existent in this game, I would say. <laughs> so, uh, like, yeah, like you will see some semblance of that, and you'll be reminded of like, oh, like these other games existed. Uh, but I, mm-hmm. I will stop short of saying that this game paved the way for those games. Uh, yeah. More so, it's just that it felt really rushed and. There and uh, mm-hmm. Mikami and, and anyone else attached to this game were like, okay, look, like, we don't want to make anything remotely close to this again. Let's just <laughs> let's just do something different, uh, and let's just shed the label away from PNO three, which thankfully not many people bought. So I don't think that right. they even had much of a label to begin with. No, I, I'd also like to like say with marketing and everything here because the game itself isn't bad for two thousand three. Nowadays, there's so many better games for for that genre, but mm-hmm. uh, the the marketing of this game having it labeled as PNO three is first of all a terrible title, considering that that was technically the title that they had as um as I guess a base title, like a working title, because it was the third game of the Capcom five, which is why mm-hmm. they named it that way. But like you could have give like vanquish would be a much better name or something that would capture the viewer instead of just letters and numbers like a car <laughs> <You know? laughs> like i i think that uh, i think naming and marketing is a huge huge part in video games especially back then when there was no mm-hmm. way to find out about games you know you just look at something on the shelf and and this box art is quite weird as well so yeah. i would have probably been put off by it if i, if I personally saw it well there were a couple other names that they went through before they landed on it's actually like pn Three, I think that that's how they say it in yeah. the uh, opening yeah, screen. Yeah, I know. I always O3. say PNO three, but I know it's supposed to be PN three. Yeah, that's the way that it's known as now. But it's kind of one of those things that over the years, like everyone calls it PNO three, but it's it's meant to be product uh, product, product number, number three. three. Yeah, yeah. But but some of the original titles, the original name was Robot War Game. That was kind of like just the working title for a bit. Okay. Then they changed it to White Jaguar. Okay. <laughs> also makes no sense. Uh, but no one liked that title, so they switched no. it over to PNO3, which makes it sound like something like Untitled Goose Game, you know, like <laughs> a game like that, or Project Octopath Traveler that Square Enix... Square Enix are getting horrible at naming their, their smaller Project games. Triangle. That, yeah, Project <laughs> Triangle or whatever. Like, it sounds like that, uh, but this is the final copy that they went with. And uh, it's funny, actually, Brian mentioned uh, Devil May Cry 2. Uh, that game actually came out the same year as PNO3, and Devil May Cry 2 is critically, I think, one of the worst games in the franchise, or at least it's reviewed the worst. I'm sure it's some people's favorite. But So Capcom was having, if they weren't already experiencing uh, revenue loss, which we uh, talked about earlier in the episode, they were projected to lose $103 million U.S. dollars that year. Uh, they, they ended up losing more, but part of that was because Devil May Cry 2 was such a commercial uh, flop that they had to push out PNO3 faster than I think they originally planned on doing. But Shinji Mikami uh, is actually a very well-respected game developer at the time and now. He later on went on to develop e- the Evil Within series, which started in, I believe, 2014 on PS3, PS4, Xbox One, Xbox 360, which is more of a survival horror game in the same vein as like a Resident Evil kind of spinoff. So like it didn't necessarily end his career, but there was definitely no chance of a PNO3 ever coming out again, any sequel. And I don't think anybody really wanted that because we eventually got Bayonetta, which is way better. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Is that I don't think we'll, we'll see anything uh, any new content from PNO3 in the future. Mm-hmm. But uh, we also brought Brian on to talk a little bit about Capcom 5. We talked about the history of it uh, just at the start. But Brian, uh, what, what what are your thoughts about the Capcom 5? Like The fact that a developer did this in 2001 was pretty crazy. Um, yeah, I just want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it was very ambitious. And I remember I actually saw some of the photos from that conference and 
they had uh, all five like game developers come out in, like leather pants. They look like rock stars. Someone had like <laughs> a red leather jacket, and uh, I think they did this in Japan where like it, you know no like the internet was still like it was mostly based on like forums and stuff like that. You know, no Twitter. Yeah. Uh, you might have some live blogs, but they did it in Japan where like everyone in this like, you know stateside was asleep. And they rolled out the red carpet for these five guys to say what their projects were. <laughs> and uh, it was definitely like you make such a loud presentation that you better back it up. And almost seemingly like everything flopped, uh, it, you know, <laughs> it, everything wrong could go wrong, did go wrong. So, uh, I, I mean, yeah, it, it ended up being a very important lesson for game developers. And um, you see Capcom nowadays, you know, they even cry out like, Capcom is back just because of the fact that they had Resident Evil 7, Monster Hunter World, Devil May Cry 5. Uh, so you notice that they switched to a lot of more sequels and work in with current IPs more than just making five, well, technically four new IPs and along with, you know, mm-hmm. Resident Evil 4. So uh, they, they switched up their strategy, but it took a very long time for them to be like to recover for one with all the financial yep. losses. And mm-hmm. even just like, I, I think, their relationship with Nintendo was also quite fragile all the time. I, I think I, I remember hearing a rumor that with Smash, they just decided, like, for the longest time, they didn't even approach Capcom for a guest character at the time before, like, Mega Man mm. and that kind of stuff. They, like, they, but they, you know, went up to Kona, uh, Konami and, and Midway. They were like, hey, like, you want to put Solid Snake in here? They're like, okay. <laughs> so, so there, there's a rumor of that. I don't know. I don't know if that's, like, that's pretty I, petty. I, I could believe it. Definitely. So, uh, and at the time, like, Capcom was. You know they had a lot of fun IPs. They had, uh, they even had Onimusha who was doing that was doing really well. We we talked about mm-hmm. Devil May Cry. Uh, Steel Battalion was kind of gimmicky, but you know, and, and that that kind of died off. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, like it's funny to see that like nobody would ever ever do something like this ever again. You know, anyone who swore for that company like the fans did with their previous titles uh, also were kind of confused at the probably confused at the time too with just how they doled this whole project out. That's a great point with like from the fan perspective because we didn't really talk about that yet. But uh when you think about it, it is almost a slap on the face to anyone who has supported Capcom for a long time because if you don't have a GameCube, you know, it feels like you're left in the dark here. There's these five mm-hmm. new games, new IPs as well that are that are coming out for just the GameCube by your favorite publisher or developer like that's a very ambitious and and strange thing to do at that time when when developers weren't tied uh, to consoles like they are now. Mm-hmm. And it, this is like the definition of backpedaling for a marketing uh, PR uh, standpoint. A PR standpoint, yeah, because they came out and they said, you know, we're coming out with five games exclusive for the GameCube. They later on, not long after that, said, well, no, you know, actually only Resident <laughs> Evil Four. We we meant only Resident Evil Four would be exclusive. It's yeah, like, no, that... you didn't. You didn't say that. And even <laughs> Resident Evil Four wasn't it didn't end up being exclusive either. Only PNO Three, which was I believe of the games that we're talking about today, is the worst reviewed. So that game they just left to die. Uh, but uh, Capcom had to, for financial reasons, had to port their games over to other consoles. Yep. And it, it's weird because this is like a time when I think console exclusives from uh, second party and third party developers were kind of complicated to announce. Or even even today, like you hear all the time at E3, when whenever Microsoft has a game announced on in, in their conference, they always say like, X, they never say Xbox exclusive. They always say like only on Xbox or something like that. Or they, they, they say like weird things that aren't necessarily... Microsoft Xbox exclusive. They they just say like Game Pass exclusive or mm-hmm. 
temporarily on Xbox. Like literally, they they almost say like, "Don't worry, it's coming to other consoles," <laughs> which is probably because of this. Yeah, where Capcom had to kind of find a way to to sell these games on GameCube, and like Brian said, that you know they they probably did sell GameCubes based on this announcement alone, because Capcom at the time is and even now is a huge name in video games. If you know that they're going to come out with five games on on a console that is fairly affordable, like a hundred bucks, hundred and fifty bucks. You're going to go out and buy that console with the promise that you're going to get some pretty incredible games. And we got a few, which is good, but you could have just saved your money and and picked up a PS2 or stuck with your PS2 and hung in there until RE4 and Beautiful Joe came out. And Neil, uh, there's one game we haven't mentioned yet. We might as well mention it now, and that's Dead Phoenix. We haven't really talked about that. So what happened with that that game, with that dead game? Yeah, that, yeah, no pun intended. Uh, yeah, so Dead Phoenix uh, was a game. It's the only canceled game out of the Capcom 5 announcement. It was sort of like this uh, shoot 'em up game, sort of in the same vein of like a, an on-the-rail shooter like Star Fox or um, uh, Panzer Dragoon, I think, is another game that they compared it to. Uh, so you, the player would take control of a winged man who flies around shooting massive enemies uh, with the aid of allies on foot, also like Star Fox. So this is very much like a Capcom arcade-style game uh, brought to the GameCube, which would have been really neat. And there was very little about this game that ever was released. Uh, We got it in one press conference at E3 in 2003, uh, but it was canceled that same year in August. Um, So it was announced mid-2003, and then by the end of the year, it was dead. So the Capcom 5 eventually just became the Capcom 4. And that's interesting, too, because uh, Dead Phoenix was technically supposed to be the first game that was going to come out in their slate of games. So Mm -hmm. that um, doesn't bode well to to start off like that. No, no. It looks like it would have been fine. I'm sure that the the graphics, the rendering was very basic, and they were going to polish it up quite a bit more. But it would have been nice to have on GameCube something else to play alongside your Star Fox uh, on-rails shooter. But sadly, it never came out, and I'm 100% positive we will never see it again. (laughs) No. Well, uh, I think it's time for the back of the case, Neil. What do you think? Yeah, sounds good. But before we do, Brian, do you have anything else to say about uh, PNO3 before we move on? Um, Not really specifically about that game, but uh, I think I just want to mention the fact that the word is the meaning of like, the word exclusive has probably changed over the years uh, yeah. in the video mm-hmm. game industry. Back in the day, especially even when I was a kid, it was like, okay, what is what is exclusive on what? Like You would like look yeah. for that or you would want to hear it and look forward to something like that. Nowadays, if you hear something that's exclusive, first of all, you guys touched upon that with Xbox. It's they don't really say the word exclusive anymore. It's because timed of the fact exclusive. That, <laughs> yes, timed exclusive is a good one, but it's the word exclusive has taken on a different form in the sense that it's not going to be like very black and white. It's going to be on this console. It's going to be on this uh, this specific system because they can't promise that anymore, and it's also. No. For business reasons and for financial reasons, it's also kind of dumb to just you mm-hmm. know put it on one specific console nowadays. So you'll see like ports so later on, or um, you know a time exclusive is what is what you mentioned. So uh, they 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 use it in a different form nowadays compared to what it was back in the day. And I think if mm-hmm. you were to say exclusively like to a certain console, like nowadays like people of our age would be like they kind of groan at that word to be like <laughs> okay like yeah, yeah. sure. So, and yeah. a lot of it probably comes from Capcom 5. It's like, like yep. the word exclusive mm-hmm. takes on a much different form. It, it makes you feel kind of uneasy hearing that word nowadays. <laughs> Whereas back in the day, like if you heard it, you'd be like, oh, wow, this is sick. Like it's exclusive to this specific mm-hmm. console and you look forward to it. So mm-hmm. uh, I just want mm-hmm. to point out like the word exclusive, ex- exclusivity and like the fact that PNO3 was the only one that was, you know, exclusive to GameCube is, uh, is kind of funny that like they're tied in that <laughs> manner and you wouldn't use that word nowadays. 
No, no. No. Yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. But with that, let's read the back of the case. But first, Victor, hit us with that jingle. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. Danger around every curve. A colonial settlement on a distant planet goes out of control after a computer arms management system, also known as CAMS, goes haywire. Enter Vanessa Schneider, a freelance mercenary and robot killer with a grudge to settle in this exhilarating action game. But will Vanessa's dark past collide with her ultimate mission? Futuristic sci-fi environments, battle robots, machines, mega weapons, and transforming enemies, stylish moves and attacks, dodging, rolling, and choreographed gameplay. Learn powerful attacks, combos, and power-ups. Her, her, like the way that she kind of bobs her head and like uh, kind of moves her hips always is weird to me. I don't know. It bothers it, me. <laughs> it bothers me. Yeah, she's like always moving, and I get because it's yeah, it's supposed to be like a choreographed game and uh, a lot of rhythm sections and stuff too. But it, yeah. it's just very strange. Yeah, it's 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 weird. And when she's shooting, like her ass literally shakes in like a figure eight <laughs> kind of movement. Like no one, no one moves like this. But uh, so I guess if you want to check out that for the for that element alone, it's probably <laughs> worth picking up. But we need to move on to other games now. So, Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. And we're actually really excited to have you on for our episode next week when we talk about Resident Evil 4. So uh, I guess goodbye for now, but uh, we'll talk again real soon. Yep. Thanks for having me again, guys. Yeah, no worries. See you later. What a nice young man. What a nice young man. Thank you, Brian, for coming on the show and talking a little bit about PNO3 or product number three or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And and just Capcom 5 in general because it is a, a super interesting time and something that will never happen again and uh we even got to talk a little bit about dante and a little bit about uh devil may cry yeah you can't talk about dante without talking about capcom unfortunately devil may cry has never been on a nintendo console i don't think i know i remember dante being uh, a hopeful for smash at one point unfortunately that we now know that that is not going to happen at least not yet it would have been nice mm-hmm. but uh yeah no it's a very interesting time to be a capcom fan and a video game fan because we were getting so many different franchises piano 3 being one of them another one that we need to talk about today though mike is beautiful joe yes neil beautiful joe has three games if you can believe it on the gamecube and mm-hmm. we brought in racing expert ali to talk about beautiful joe and unfortunately beautiful joe does not have a racing game uh, which is quite a shame, but yet. <laughs> not not yet. <laughs> but Ali, we do want to start this episode off by asking you, what is your favorite Capcom game of all time? So before I even answer that, uh, I, I heard that, you know, Brian talked about the Capcom 5 and I was actually going to talk about that, or I should say the Clover 5. Oh, you can you can still we can still bring it up, of course. It, it's the gonna theme, that is the theme of this party is sweet. the Capcom 5. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be naturally brought up, of course. So, yeah, uh, some of my favorite Capcom games are from that, you know, Capcom 5. So Okami was one of them. That wasn't mm-hmm. part of the Capcom 5, uh, I don't though, know. Was oh, actually, that-, okay, that was not Capcom. That was just Clover. My bad. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, that was just mm-hmm. Clover. Uh, what's called Beautiful Joe, when I was younger, was part of the Capcom 5. That I was like, oh, this is actually really freaking mm-hmm. good. I never played Piano 3, thankfully, <laughs> because I've heard <laughs> yeah, just like eh, things about it, right? And then uh, RE4, of course, also one of sure. the best REs and one of my favorites. Uh, but in terms of like my favorite favorite, Devil May Cry 3 really stands nice. out for okay. me. And Dragon's Dogma. Unfortunately, I never finished Dragon's Dogma. 
I played it and it was really fun and I do want to revisit it, but Devil May Cry 3 is probably my favorite Capcom game. Good good pick nice. for with Dragon's Dogma. Uh, that's in the friend of the show, Brian, who just on, that he loves Dragon's Dogma. He actually got me into that, specifically playing the Dragon's Dogma Dark Arisen, which I believe yep. is the, the deluxe version, which fixes a lot of stuff and enables fast travel. So that makes the game beatable in you know 100 hours instead of 300 exactly (laughs) beautiful surprising that no one has said today that their favorite capcom game is zelda um oracle of seasons and oracle of ages because those are the unknown capcom games on the game boy color which are really good zelda games that nobody talks about huh did not know that was i actually didn't know that either wow yeah there you go neil dropping knowledge bombs on this dropping dropping so many knowledge bombs so let's drop a few more knowledge bombs and let's talk about beautiful joe the first game was released on june 26 2003 it's developed by clover studio which ali talked about earlier it's published by capcom of course it's also on ps2 so this is not a gamecube exclusive it rates a 9 out of 10 which is amazing uh priced today at around 50 dollars. this is a 2d beat-em-up and then, about a year later, we got Beautiful Joe 2 on November 18th, 2004, again developed by Clover Studio, published by Capcom. This game was also on PS2. This game rates slightly worse for some reason, 8.5 out of 10, uh, priced today at around $45. And then finally, the third game, not Beautiful Joe 3, however, we got Beautiful Joe Red Hot Rumble, released on September 29th, 2005. This game is also known as Beautiful Joe Battle Carnival in Japan. It's also developed by clover studio published by capcom this game is on gamecube and the psp which is where i see this game mostly is as psp copies in game stores which is funny this game rates a six out of ten and is priced today at around 65 dollars so we're going to be talking about all of the all of the beautiful joe games together just since it's such a big franchise and uh a lot of the facts are probably going to bleed into each other of course of course so then let's start off with the first question here ali what is your first memories of playing Beautiful Joe. Of course, you played at least the first one, I believe, right? I've played both of them, and I can actually already tell you what the reason for the second one being a little lower score-wise is, like a couple of reasons, but we'll get to that later, Mm -hmm. I guess. Okay. So, yeah, I've played the first one and the second one. I played them... I did play them on the PS2, you know, full disclosure full disclosure full disclosure boot them out <laughs> but they were pretty pretty much the exact same game on the gamecube minus yeah. like the later version that was released where um for the ps2 capcom added dante and trish i don't think trish was a playable character but dante was um and gamecube sadly didn't receive that uh capcom is also mm. you know you just in their scum ways, even back then, they said, oh, these these games are going to be GameCube exclusive. And then a month later, they were like, uh, there was no like written agreement, so <laughs> they're not yep. going to be GameCube exclusive. <laughs> they did a lot of backpedaling uh, not long after announcing that they're making five GameCube exclusive games. They eventually backpedaled and said, no, no, four of them are going to be on other consoles, specifically the PS2, and only... Resident Evil 4 will be a GameCube exclusive. Which also wasn't. Also was not. The only game that ended up being a GameCube exclusive is Piano 3, which is was kind of the only one that we were okay getting rid of. But <laughs> exactly. all the other great games, all the other great games just ended up getting dished out to other consoles. RE4 obviously is now on dozens of consoles at this point. But yeah, Beautiful Joe is an interesting game. Uh, it's a 2D side-scrolling beat-em-up game, which we did not have a ton of in this generation. So for those uh, people out there that don't know, it's a cell-shaded 2D 
beat-em-up game, not like Mario where you're jumping over platforms and uh, and shells and whatnot. This is more of like a fighting game, and the plot of the game is one of the most video gamey plots of all time. <laughs> this is really like the most video gamey video game I think I've ever seen in my life. Um, the game is centered around this character, Joe, who's this avid moviegoer. I think he's meant to be 17 years old. He's got his girlfriend, Sylvia. They're literally kidnapped during a film, like, into the movie. They're kidnapped by Joe's favorite superhero, Captain Blue. Uh, and uh, Joe is then thrust into this movie land. Um, Sylvia is kind of kidnapped and taken by the, the villainous group. And uh, Joe obviously gets these uh, crazy powers that turns him into beautiful Joe. And, uh, and then you're basically this... This uh, comic book superhero character fighting bad guys. You fight giant robots, uh, mummies, like just weird characters with swords, and you have the ability to slow down time. So the plot is completely bananas, uh, but it's it works perfectly. So first thing I find like really unbelievable is Joe is more interested in movies than his girlfriend who's like ready for you know she's like hey let, let's let me see some off-screen action yeah she wanted like, to Honey. bang joe and they were in the front row yeah <laughs> with an empty theater and she's like let's do this and he's like no no we need to see the movie yeah so i i refuse to believe that you know that's realistic but uh getting back to the subject you also fight helicopters and uh missiles that you can use your slow motion abilities to send them careening back towards your enemies mm -hmm. and that's mm -hmm. that's probably the ability that's used the most in the game the slow motion one there's also a fat like i forget the name of it but where yeah mock speed where you punch like really fast do your moves really fast that one's not so useful and then there's one where you zoom in uh, that one in conjunction with the slow motion one is really good for damage and just cool effects and story-wise they use a lot of cliches and tropes that you know movies and shows used at the time and it, it makes it a-okay because they're in a movie world right so yeah it it, mm -hmm. it actually stops being oh i can't believe they did it and more so oh they're being cheesy on purpose and it actually works that's that's one of the big things with this game is that they are the, the cheesiness draws you in a lot more it's because it makes it more unique and and it, it is very self-reflexive in that way and I, and I love that about beautiful joe it, yeah. and the art style of it you know neil touched on the fact that it's cell shaded um and it's it's very very stylish very stylized mm -hmm. uh, but it's very interesting to think about because uh this isn't like a normal wind waker cell shading this is a 3d cell shaded game but it's 2d and that yeah. makes it very, very weird to actually look at because Joe is rendered in 3D, really. You know, he's a 3D character, but you're fighting on this 2D plane uh, with the cell shading on the background. Uh, it's it's really cool, and it, it kind of tricks your eye uh, when you first look at it, but uh, you get used to it pretty quickly. And that's something I, I love about the game. And there's so much going on on screen at once, too. Like, the backgrounds are incredible. Like, there's always things going on. You, it really does make you feel like you're in a cartoon and you're in this movie In a comic world. book. And, That's what I always feel like. Yeah, in a comic book, too. Like, we, you and I both love Ultimate Spider-Man. Like, it really feels like that, but 2D, but still on a 3D plane, which was unbelievable. And the frame rate never dips at all. Like, the animations are all super smooth. The sound design all lines up perfectly with every single punch, kick, explosion. And then the game has the ability to slow down time as well, which was a really cool ability and is still a really cool ability. Like when a lot of enemies in the game are very fast, like they have the ability to make tornadoes and then like hit you with them and that'll do a lot of damage. Or you can slow down time to the point where you can like basically frame by frame 
kick a guy like in the nuts basically <laughs> in order to stop him and do more damage and then it, it quickly zooms back into regular time and then you're fighting really fast again it's it's unbelievable that this game can run on the gamecube really like, yeah. it's not like a graphical powerhouse like a game like metroid prime or resident evil 4 but it's doing cell shading and 3d animation at the same time like unbelievably a lot of stuff well. at the same time yeah Th- yeah tons and and these are things that you don't see even today like on ps4 or ps5 now like Actually, the closest game that I could think of that this game reminded me to in current gen hardware is Cuphead. Something about this game just like reminded me of like I felt like that everything in this game was hand drawn, maybe like in in computers, but everything felt like it was done by a human. Like no backgrounds felt identical. I didn't feel like I do in other beat 'em up games, specifically in the SNES era, where you can kind of feel like the levels are all repeated, copied and pasted. This one felt like every single frame was different as you ran along, just like Cuphead, where everything has been hand-drawn and put onto cells and then animated. So got to give a shout-out to the art style. So I'll tell you a game that is similar, but it's in a different genre. Uh, The Guilty Gear games right now. So after Guilty Gear XRD, XRD, Pretty much all the games in the Guilty Gear series do this like 3D animation, but it looks to 2D. They use the Unreal Engine, I think, 4 or 3. And if you look up like some of the videos, they can do some really cool stuff where the camera actually moves around the character. So you actually see them, you know, being 3D animated, but it still ends up looking like 2D anime mm. because that's just the engine they made for it. And that's like logically that is the next step in my head for this type of stuff because it all does look hand-drawn because many of the times they did go into the models and they stretched their facial features to actually make it look like anime they introduced um mistakes so anime mistakes animation mistakes which fooled your eyes into thinking oh this must be hand drawn but no it's uh, <laughs> it's 3d so interesting. with oh, that's interesting. interesting yeah with beautiful joe the thing i enjoyed about it like maybe the most honestly is the chaos on the screen yeah. because mm-hmm. there's so many effects going on at, at any single given time there's fire over the place there's enemies who are tornadoes there's helicopters there's missiles going around and slowing down that type of chaos on seeing every single part move I don't, I don't know mm-hmm. when I was younger I that just blew me away. Even now when I play it, it it still holds up really well because you see all that chaos and then you get to see it in slow motion and you get to see every single small detail that, you know, the artists put in there and you appreciate it for what it is. Mm-hmm. I would absolutely love just love to see this remade, remastered somehow Beautiful Joe 3, please, you know, this franchise needs to live again it's it's really too bad that we haven't seen it since uh like what i I know a lot of people ask for and still are asking for is seeing beautiful joe and smash because that would have been such Mm -hmm. a perfect uh uh, just a perfect pairing having him it would have been a really good fit there are so many capcom characters that belong in smash we have a few now i I know that there's a couple what there's a street fighter character in smash now and uh two two street fighters Two, 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 yeah, true, yeah, two Street Fighter characters now, that's right. And then, like, not a Capcom character, but Bayonetta is a is a Platinum character, and Platinum is made up by a lot of It's basically PNO3. <laughs> basically, yeah, P- uh, Bayonetta's made up of a lot of ex-Capcom de- uh, developers, so kind of like a spiritual successor, I suppose. I do want to talk about the difficulty of this game for a second, oh, yeah. though, mm. because okay. this is something that 
I don't think a lot of people realize, uh, myself included, I, I kind of forgot how hard these games are. I never owned Beautiful Joe. I rented it from either Blockbuster or Rogers Video, one of those back in the day. And mm-hmm. I don't really remember. I remember having fun, but I don't remember doing much. I definitely didn't beat the game. And so when I returned this week to play Beautiful Joe 2, I was like, oh, this is hard. <laughs> and then, yeah. and then I, I was, you know, researching, looking up reviews. And that was the 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 one thing everyone had in common was that this game kind of kicks your ass. And <laughs> mm-hmm. it, you have to have a lot of patience to actually, you know, learn the combos properly, learn the moves, understand what to do when, like especially when you're slowing down time. And for me, I, I just don't even have the patience anymore because that's just I'm I'm so bad with that. But I mm-hmm. I still like love the game for sure. So oh yeah, well this is this this takes the its influences of the beat 'em up genre from the arcades specifically, mm-hmm. which are traditionally actually very short. The first Beautiful Joe game, and I think the second one too, can be beat in under four hours if you're a competent player. But if you're just an average Joe, no pun intended, <laughs> uh, and you, you just want to pick up this game and, and you you've never played beat 'em ups before and you need to learn the mechanics of the game, you can easily probably get ten to, to eleven hours out of out of it. Like if you're learning the game and you want to get high scores and you want to if you need to you need to start again because a lot of the times once you lose all your lives you need to start the level again which is an old way of playing games now like these days when you die it feels like you kind of get brought back almost to exactly where you died because the game games constantly auto save and they're a bit more handholdy but th- this this was this was from a, an era that games did not hold your hand because the ultimate goal of beat em ups was to make money so they wanted to get more quarters out of you so you'd have to reset the level again but playing it at home it can be a little bit frustrating when you get to almost the end of a level then you die and you have to go all the way back to the start and and hear all of uh, all of Joe's great quotes again, and fight all the same bad guys again too. So I think <clears throat> I think this also goes back to how Capcom was back then, because DMC three was notoriously hard. Uh, so was RE four, in my opinion. When I played it, like I I, I thought it was pretty difficult, mm-hmm. and I'm the type you know I'm I've platinum dark souls so i'm just i'm just saying i'm just dropping that in there (laughs) to show that even i thought it's pretty difficult for just an action game right and then Mm -hmm. even okami from what i remember was actually pretty difficult as well so i I think capcom like when you read the bios of these people they grew up on games like no matter what the genre that were notoriously difficult and they wanted to make games for gamers that would appreciate that and i think they made it a little too difficult because same with beautiful joe dmc3 also came out with an easier version of the game mm-hmm. it was dmc i think three special edition right and that was a, a lot easier than the original uh in terms of the length of the beautiful joe so you said that you could beat it in eight to twelve hours which yeah you can and then there's you also can be in four hours actually if you're really good characters you that you can go back and play with and go through the story again and there they do change the levels a tiny bit and the story a little bit once you, when you actually select a new character and go back and play through that way and yeah because if you play yeah. as dante in ps2 you actually get uh, different cutscenes and, and different dialogue based on who hmm. you play and i thought that was yep. really interesting like that's a lot of work to put in just for almost an easter egg yeah so that that really increases the playability and then again that goes back to the beat em up genre right where you select a new character and you get to experience the game in a whole new different way so you you know want to keep doing it want to keep getting better 
Uh, it did have the game did have a problem of just one move being better than others type of thing. But if that is the case, I tend to with every other game as well. Just kind of avoid cheaping out the moves because I actually want to have fun while I'm playing. So yeah. I would, you know, if even if I figured out a cheap way of beating something, I'd rather actually do it, you know, a way that's more enjoyable, like combos or something that uses, you know, my brain instead of just mashing that one combo button. Mm-hmm. And, and this game, especially for that, for sure, because of the because of the fact that you can slow down time, uh, it just allows you to have such a, a bigger arsenal of of moves mm-hmm. that you can you can have at your disposal. And oh yeah, yeah. You don't want to just do the same thing over no, and over you, again because of that. One of the best things about this game is uh, the smaller enemies. When you slow down time, you can launch them into other enemies and create kind yeah. of like yes. a pinball type of effect. And it, that's just that was so fun to me back then. And uh, you can tell that the developers were having a good time developing the game. Like they came up with some really funny ways of fighting against enemies. I think it's from Beautiful Joe 2 where you've got like these cowboy kind of characters yes. and uh, they fire bullets at you that are kind of comically large, but you slow down time and you can punch the bullet back at them and you're basically shooting them with their own bullets. <laughs> yeah. It's just wacky stuff like that, that like I'm, I, I do really look back on fondly on the GameCube generation for games like this that just did things, you know, games were fun for the sake of being fun. Like everything wasn't just gray and bleak and dire and everything wasn't trying to be the last of us and be this depressing world it was just this kooky game of a 17 year old guy who's been sucked into a movie uh while his girlfriend was trying to bang him in the front row (laughs) yeah that's a great point neil though with the with like the colorfulness and everything like and how manic this game is uh you it compares like compare this to the games that we've, we've talked about today and then we'll be talking about resident evil 4 next week um this is a complete 180 for Capcom at the yeah. time. Uh, all these games were, you know, uh, very dark, sterile, demons, zombies, uh, like a, a, always these dark tones uh, to these games. And and then here comes Beautiful Joe, which is just yeah. so colorful and it's such a, like a manic experience. It almost feels like if you give a couple of creative people the freedom to do what they want, they'll create unique experiences. I don't know. Uh, wow. It's unheard of. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Yeah, Crazy. Like, like just going, like putting my mind in like the, the developer, like of a game developer in 2004, like I would have like, you know, you're developing five games for Capcom, even though Resident Evil 4 is going on to become the greatest game of all time. And it's going to it's going to influence so many games past it like beautiful joe would have been the game of choice to work on because like if you're a developer you know that you're you know that you're working on those single frames for weeks and that's all you have to work on is that one thing like like some people had to spend weeks looking at leon kennedy getting his head chopped off by a chainsaw and then someone else a couple buildings or a couple cities over was working on beautiful joe slowing down time to kick a guy in the nuts like (laughs) it's it's the same company putting out two completely different games and it's so sad when you read about uh hideki kamiya who is the uh who is the director of this game, who has been quoted since 2017 saying that he would love to work with Capcom again uh, to, to to create the third game in this trilogy, which was the ultimate plan, was to make yeah. Beautiful Joe 3. In the story, they mentioned that quite a lot too, that there's, it's supposed to be three movies. Even as recent as PAX East back in 2020, uh, Kimia told attendees to email Capcom to get sequels to the dormant franchise, uh, <laughs> which included Beautiful Joe. Uh, and, he, you know, it, it's just so sad that, like, Mike, like you said, like, this game is just begging to have a remake yeah. or a remaster and a sequel. Like, this is the time. This is the perfect game for Switch. It would be so much fun on Switch. This is, this is the perfect game. Like, this, alongside with my opinion, a Kami sequel, any game mm-hmm. of that sort, this would be the perfect time. Because, like you said, it, it was, like, back then, these type of games, I... 
come from you know i love racing games and the half the reason i love them so much is because i can just sit down play them get up leave like do something yeah. else i can i can just sit down I, it doesn't have to be like this hour long chapter experience two hour long where i'm just stuck you know doing something of course it's still fun but when every game is demanding that much attention from you seeing games like okami seeing games like beautiful joe which are you know not a racing genre but having that same type of oh i can just come in sit down have some fun get up and do something else i don't have to you know prepare an entire day get like two hours emptied out so i can experience this thing i can just sit down have some like honest to goodness fun while i'm playing <laughs> a video game mm -hmm. and not even not even think just have some fun i miss those type of games it's what we've been talking about since the very beginning of this podcast and the fact that this is just yet another game from the early 2000s that does one thing really really well yep definitely and one one thing that I want to go to, just quickly jumping to, is the uh, the voice acting in the game. Like as basic as it is, I do love Joe as a video game character. He's super high energy. He's very stereotypical. I guess they're supposed to be North American, kind of like a North American guy with a goatee. He looks like he belonged in Bowling for Soup, yeah, uh, and 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 didn't quite make it. Like he was their he was their rhythm bassist, and he had to go. Uh, but uh, he was out with his girlfriend and everything. But the voice actor for uh, Beautiful Joe, I don't know if you guys know this. His name is D. Bradley Baker. And I looked him up on IMDb just for his credits. This guy has done hundreds and hundreds of characters from TV shows uh, and and video games. Not 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 oh. huge roles, mind you, but he's voiced Perch Perkins from SpongeBob. He voiced Daffy and Taz in Space Jam, the original oh. Space Jam. Uh, Klaus from American Dad. I think Klaus is the alien. Fish. No, Klaus is Klaus is the fish. It's the fish. It's the yeah. fish. Yeah. yeah. The worst Family Guy. He also does <laughs> Rajal Ghul in Arkham City. Uh, he's in Scooby-Doo 2, one of my favorite films of all time. He voices the 10,000-volt ghost, the zombie, the red-eyed skeletons. And he also voices, believe it or not, Perry the Platypus from <laughs> Phineas and Ferb. Wow. I mean, that's oh a pretty big role. Look yeah. him up. D. Bradley Baker. He's got so many credits. Like, I guarantee that you that range. there are shows that, that you have watched and love, and he's in them in some way. Some small way, but, like, you'll know the characters. He's like the male Terra sure. Strong. <laughs> yeah, him and Tara Strong should have a kid. They'd have like the <laughs> ultimate voice. One thing I appreciated was uh, how campy the dialogue and everything is. Like it feels oh, stilted, yeah. but yes. that actually works in its favor because it feels like the actors are reading right off of script. And in one of the one of the villains is actually just has the script out and is looking yeah. at it while reading it. I found that so funny, and I still do. Yeah. That's. It's so well done. I love when they do stuff like that. Completely fourth wall breaking, and everybody loves the quote, Henshin to go, go, baby. Oh, yeah. I was which just means, it. like, tr Henshin means uh, transform. So it's just, like, his transform thing, which, yeah. you know, everybody loves Power Rangers and, and Transformers and everything. So that's just such a quotable line from the game that everybody it's, says. I think it's the but, way he says it, too, right? It's like, Henshin oh, yeah. to go, go, baby. Like, he fully, <laughs> he fully puts his all into it. It's so cheesy, and I love and it. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, I did want to, of course, bring out uh, a book I haven't brought out for uh, for a while now here, Neil, but uh, it's 1001 Video Games You Must Hear Before You Die. Yes. Uh, must hear or must play before sorry, I die? <laughs> you must play. You can also <laughs> hear them. That would be good. I guess. Uh, yeah. But I, I want to read a little insert because they did, of course, have Beautiful Joe in here. Okay, cool. Yeah, go for it. In an age when screenshots still sold video games, Beautiful Joe was a difficult title to evaluate. It was hard, practically impossible to even work out what was going on in most of the game's freeze frames, with their Parisian boulevards filled with mechanical gunslingers or their fat red fighter jets ducking elaborate transforming enemies. 
The game asks a lot of its players, and its bosses, even on a second playthrough, can throw up frustrating roadblocks that can last for months. Despite all this, no other titles explode across the screen in such a mindless blur of creative enthusiasm, and few have balanced frustration with spectacle so dazzlingly. 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 (laughs) What's going on? That's so hard to say. Dazzlingly. But yeah, that is what uh, 1001 Video Games has to say about that, and I 100% agree. That's pretty accurate. No, it, it, what's funny to me about that is that it's so hard to describe, but it's also so easy to describe at the same yeah. time. Like, how do you describe Beautiful Joe? It's a fun, stupid 2D beat-em-up game. Like, that's all you have to say. Yep, that's about right. It's so difficult to understand what's going on that you really just have to take it for what you're seeing, and that's it. Like, they're, they're not trying to push across any specific messaging. It's not trying to become game of the year. It's just dumb fun, which is what video games should always be. I quickly want to say a couple of points about Beautiful Joe 2 before we... Uh, again quickly talk about red hot rumble uh Mm -hmm. and that's the fact that this game is really missing one big thing and that's co-op multiplayer um and just having the ability to play the story with two people would have really put this game over the top instead you are able to um uh to go between beautiful joe and sexy sylvia which is uh his girlfriend Uh, and Mm -hmm. that was like a, a you know that's kind of where the next phase of any uh, trilogy usually leads, but I think they really missed the mark here of not having the co-op. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it w- it really was begging for co-op, and that's why this that's why this game is perfect for Switch because they have beautiful Joe's um, beautiful Joe's move set, and they have Sylvia's move set, and she has the ability to replay, which allows her to record and then repeat an event three times in succession um, instead of Joe's mock speed. So it'd be you're right, Mike. I can't believe that they missed that. Uh, I think that just the Capcom 5 games were under such a time crunch because Capcom was under a different financial situation than they are in 2020. So it's hard to look at these games from from that lens. But yeah, like now that they have time and they have the resources, definitely a game, uh, a multiplayer game would be sweet. But they did give us a multiplayer game with Red Hot Rumble, which we can talk about now before we close out. Before we close out, the I would like to say why, in my opinion, the second one did get a lower score. Uh, since I did play both of them, the second one... The story wasn't as goofy. I think they lost some of the charm in it. Uh, it was under, I think, probably even more of a time crunch. Uh, oh, yeah. Even though the environments and everything was good, it just didn't feel as fleshed out. There were, you know, this time you only have two characters. I don't even remember if there were any unlockable characters in the second one. I don't think there were. Not that I found any now. Yeah, and so. then, again, the story kind of felt like and the first one was just like they you could see they put a lot of effort into it even with the time crunch they had with the second one i remember kamiya mentioning that he didn't even really want to work on the second one the only reason he did was so he could explore some of the ideas that he couldn't in the first one which explains why you know the environments were really cool in the second one but it was missing like i guess that spark that the first one had basically so yeah it did get a lower score but even then it's it's a really good game i think both of them are definitely ones you should pick up on any console you can yeah i think that's the thing right is that we're being critical of it just because we're trying to com- we're comparing it to the first one but if the f- if beautiful joe 1 didn't exist we'd be heaping praise on beautiful joe 2 for being one of the best games on the gamecube Exactly. I think if you only have one game to play, like if you just happen to come across Beautiful Joe 2, I don't think you would notice a huge difference having not played the first one. Like I only own the first one. And honestly, sometimes when I go to video game stores, I forget which one I have just looking at two cases. Like they're (laughs) so similar. They're basically an extension of each other. 
It's almost as if that they cut the game in half and sold it in two pieces. I know that that's not what they did, but it is very similar. Like it's almost like an expansion pack of Beautiful Joe 1, which is great. Like more of a good thing can't be too bad. And mm-hmm. now we're just begging for more. But maybe someday we will get that from Capcom. But but yeah, with yet. Red Hot Rumble, uh, this game, well, when I mentioned, to, to, mentioned it to Ali, uh, he didn't know this game existed and neither did I, honestly, until a couple weeks nice. ago. You said Royal Rumble at first and I thought you meant the WWE Royal <laughs> yeah. Rumble. And I was like, yeah, I've played that game. I can. Co- I don't know why we're covering that in this episode, but sure, I can. I can talk about Royal Rumble. How hilarious would it be to have beautiful, beautiful Joe fighting The Rock, like in a, in a wrestling <laughs> yeah. match? You know I think that would be. That's that what be. the fans are waiting for. That'd be so good. They might as well. Like no one's taking those games seriously anyway, so nope. they might as well do it at this point. <laughs> yeah, but this is this is basically like taking the beautiful Joe characters and putting them in a Smash Bros. style game. Uh, it's more of a fighter than than what the mission based beat 'em up games that we had been used to. Uh, in the past couple of years. So Red Hot Rumble came out one year following Beautiful Joe 2. It definitely was not Beautiful Joe 3, which is what we were all hoping for. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, we got uh, we got this game, which is not quite as good. Like I said before, it rated a 6 out of 10. It's also on the PSP, which I I, I said at the top there, I, I see this game on PSP everywhere I go. But I can understand why Ali has never heard of this game, because the GameCube version is incredibly hard to find. I've never ever seen the GameCube version of this game. Again, mm-hmm. did not know this game existed. Uh, I do. There are some parts of it I like. I like that there the wackiness still exists here, uh, like the, mm-hmm. the items and everything. It's the uh, and they use a lot of the same cutscenes and and you know of course the graphics and, and all that. So it, it it feels like you're in that beautiful Joe world, but it's. I think it's more of a question of why was this made, because <laughs> it feels strange. <laughs> so. I actually know the answer to that. Oh, good. So, <laughs> did you know that the game Red Hot Rumble was not based off of the Beautiful Joe games? Oh, no. It was based off well, of, which I also didn't know was a thing, the Beautiful Joe anime. Oh, which came okay. I was trying to understand after. what, like, the... Yeah, the cutscenes are all very anime-based as opposed to the, the original two games, which are all kind yes. of in-game engine cutscenes. Yeah, there was kind of like an anime intro for that. I didn't know that it was based on like an actual anime. Was it aired like in Japan? Yeah, it was aired in Japan. Um, it got really good ratings. It has like oh. 50-something episodes, so quite a lot of episodes. The animation Jeez. looks pretty similar to the game, so that's fun. But the anime was very much targeted towards kids versus the games were targeted towards like i would say young adults teens to young adults so that's why there's that tonal shift as well and that's why i guess the control scheme in red hot rumble is also a lot more friendly but yeah the the game is based off of the anime rather than the actual first two games but that's why you see a lot of different characters that were apparently in the anime as well i never watched the anime my girlfriend watched two episodes of the anime apparently (laughs) Um, she said it's it's all right it's just it's too kiddy and i'm like okay i can see that Mm. so that's why it looks like that and plays like that That's that's funny, you know, and like now, now that I think about it, Beautiful Joe definitely had the like opportunity to have a, a, a good anime. I could have totally seen this being on uh, the detour here in, in, uh, in yes. Canada on YTV. Mm-hmm. I could have totally seen this being at like 9 p.m. every night uh, if they were to make this more of a, 
uh, not raunchy style uh, anime comedy thing, but like, you know, something like Ripping Friends. You know, I, think I was of, waiting right? for you to say uh, it. There it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what I, I, I can see Beautiful Joe going towards. Uh, that would be really strange if it went to like a, a kid's kid friendly style. It would be perfect to be like right between Ripping Friends and Super Diaper Babies, yeah. a beautiful Joe anime, because this would have been perfect because it was it was actually Ali had it right, fifty one episodes in Japan, and then there were twenty six episodes dubbed to English, which twenty six episodes for a cartoon of this of this I'm gonna say magnitude would have been like everyone our age would have had so much nostalgia for this show, yeah. and then you could have been like, do you know that there was only twenty five or twenty six episodes of it? But in your head, you'd think there was like seasons of it, like the Ripping <laughs> Friends, which only has I think like six episodes, but you'd still watch them all over and over again and love it no matter what. A funny thing about the differences in the games, though, is that the PlayStation Portable version uh, had exclusive characters and costumes, including Dante and Trish from Devil May Cry. So those characters were back in the in the fighting game as well. And a fun fact about the North American GameCube version, uh, the game features in-game advertising promoting the restaurant Johnny Rockets. Oh, did not know. Do you guys know this restaurant? <laughs> I know of Johnny Rockets. It's, it's in the U.S. only, I'm pretty sure. But like I'm assuming that that's probably the same in the Canadian version. So I really want to pick up a copy of this game just to see if Johnny Rockets is there. <laughs> Johnny Rockets. I did not. I'm looking at the on Google right now, and I've never seen this chain like even advertised anywhere except I guess this game where I just missed it. <laughs> yeah, it's I, it's I an American like... chain, I think. But yeah. so someone can write to us. Some uh, American listeners, please tell us how much you love or hate Johnny Rockets. We we <laughs> would really appreciate it. I would really like a review of Johnny Rockets on my desk by next week. That'd be fantastic. That's I'm looking at the back of the case right now for Beautiful Joe One, and there's a Rob the Robot on the back, which is really neat. <laughs> oh, huh. yeah. Like it, it's a picture of Joe looking at a toy store, and he can see his uh, his blue is Captain Blue in the window, and next to Captain Blue is a Rob the Robot. Looks like it's selling for two dollars and ninety nine cents. One, that's a really good deal, and two, <laughs> yeah. that's uh, that's really cool. That's uh, that's yeah. a cool little Easter egg. Yeah, on the case, no less. Remember the times when cases actually tried and so did manuals? I miss those times. Yeah. Well, speaking of cases, Allie. Yes, speaking of cases, let's read the back of the case for Beautiful Joe, Beautiful Joe 2, and Beautiful Joe Red Hot Rumble. So, Allie, sit back. You're gonna have, you're gonna, we're going to talk about a couple cases here. Here we go. Let's go. All right. Life is beautiful. Meet the world's newest celluloid superhero. Introducing Joe, an average guy that gets caught up in a crazy stunt-filled action movie. World in order to rescue his girl, Sylvia. I almost said saliva. From the, cult, <laughs> from the clutches of evil. Blessed with beautiful moves, Joe must use his newly acquired superpowers to clobber an army of enemies. Utilize VFX powers to zoom in, slow down, or activate mock speed to fight your foes with style. Loaded with cool and funky visuals and nonstop action, Beautiful Joe will remind you just how fun video games can be. Henshin a go-go, baby. I would really like Joe to rescue the band Saliva instead. <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Why do so many bands say ladies and gentlemen? What's going on? <laughs> uh, I have the, the case to uh, Beautiful Joe 2, Neil, if you uh, don't mind if I read that out. No problem. I think that that's why I say ladies and gentlemen at the beginning of every episode is probably because of my saliva and uh, limp biscuit phase that I had briefly <laughs> in college. But yeah, Mike, read, read us the back of the case for a beautiful joke too before I start singing limp biscuit songs. More action, more enemies, more beautiful. 
the world's coolest action hero is back and still fighting off a slew of movie monsters. Narrowly escaping Captain Blue's movie land, Joe now battles his way through movie world on a quest to defeat the evil Black Emperor and foil his nefarious plans for world domination. But this time, Joe's not fighting alone. Tired of playing the damsel in distress, Sylvia's taken on the role of a superheroine with lethal pom-poms, a deadly laser gun, and a special VFX replay power. With their combined powers and the aid of six machines' new forms, uh, Joe and Sylvia are sure to kick some beautiful butt. That game was begging for uh, multiplayer. That's such a miss. Uh, also, I have a little, little card here. Uh, it's uh, mm. register your product for a chance to win free Capcom games. Uh, oh. uh, Ali, if you want to go to Capcom.com slash insider and register this for me. <laughs> Yeah, sure. You can win yourself it. a copy of Resident Evil Cap- 8. Capcom.com <laughs> or Capcom Insider. Yeah. I wonder if that, that is still... No, it, uh, it's the, dead. the card is actually it's pretty not. cool. The card actually features Beautiful Joe uh, and uh, all these other Capcom characters, but two PNO3 characters, uh, Resident <laughs> Evil Zombie, Mega Man, Ryu, Ken, uh, and uh, Dante, and then a couple other people on there too, so pretty cool Damn. it's funny nice. that pn3 is uh is actually like so broadly featured on here hey they tried to make it a thing for a little bit yeah and then finally we have beautiful joe red hot rumble want to be a star in the wacky world of movies then you've got to rumble you don't just get handed a job in holly weird in holly weird you have to fight for it will it be beautiful joe will it be beautiful joe or will it be one of his superhero pals who gets the starring role in the new Captain Blue movie. You decide with your fists, battle it out on stunt crazy film sets, working together to make each take perfect and slugging it out to get top billing. That's the same plot as um, Lights, Camera, Pants, by the way. Roughly. Just want to point that out. <laughs> yeah, roughly. This game looks like a lot of fun. I think I'm going to try and pick this one up if I can find it. Looks like yeah. it'd be a. You know what? It looks, it looks like fun for about half an hour. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Which is all I need. So, yeah, all I just don't need. want to buy, pay $65 for it. Yeah, that is all you need for a game like this. A Smash clone, you just, you know, 30 minutes in, you're good. And then you can move on and play the first and second game again. Yeah, yeah, honestly. Yeah, I mean, like, look at Sylvia. She, she knows, like, you can have a lot of fun in 30 minutes, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> she doesn't know. That's the, that's the thing. <laughs> well, anyways, Ali, um, is there anything else you'd like to mention about Beautiful Joe before we let you go? I think I want to mention in general, I just miss Capcom and Konami, how they were. It's like especially yeah. Capcom more than Konami because sure. Konami only had like a couple of really good IPs and everything else was just, you know, regurgitated every year. Soccer, their, what's it called? What other things? Metal Gear Solid? Same Yu-Gi-Oh game, which was fun, but still. Mm-hmm. But Capcom especially, I, I wish like Clover was still around. Like I know Platinum is, but I wish Clover in specific mm-hmm. because... From that generation, they created, without me realizing when I was young, they created, you know, some of my favorite games. Okami, Beautiful Joe, and I, I'm one of the few people who loves God Hand. Oh, nice. So I, I really wish that that type of studio was still around and kicking. We shouldn't have to rely on one single studio to make a, an, a, an interesting game and something different. Unfortunately, it's just the, the way that the industry has been run. I mean, yeah. the... PS3 and Xbox 360 generation is largely to blame for that. We started to buy uh, 
annualized franchises hand over fist every year and that's the way if that's the way the dollar is going that's the way studios are going to follow so it's just up to us as gamers to pick up games that are are looking very uh unique and and different and uh and put put you know vote with your wallet and buy games that are that are fun like mike just bought uh warrior wear on on switch which is oh a, my god warrior wear is so good it's so a franchise great. but it's something it's something a little bit different like i just picked up a, a b simulation game from the <laughs> library which i'm enjoying right now so there are fun and wacky games out there you just have to kind of sift through the assassin's creeds and the call of duties to find them but they are out there so definitely keep looking ali you'll find them so warrior came out for switch now finally yeah well, I'm, did. I'm probably gonna <laughs> it's it's really good i i'm i'm giving it like very high scores so far i i absolutely love it warrior has been one of my like favorite franchises of all time because they just do such wacky goofy stuff with it like, like beautiful mm-hmm. joe <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly well, Ali, thank you so much for coming on for Beautiful Joe. We really appreciate having you on to talk about a game that is not racing-based. Listeners, if you like hearing <laughs> Ali's voice, he's joined us uh, for our racing episode, for our Mario Kart episode, and you did come on our episode for uh, SSX and uh, yes. 1080 Snowboarding. So uh, go back and check those episodes out if you haven't already. And Ali, we look forward to having you back really soon when we talk about a few more racing games on the GameCube. And I think when you guys talk about Metal Gear Solid, because that's uh, <laughs> that's... That's nice. one of my all-time favorite franchises as well. Yeah, that's going to be a good one. That'll be some stealth games that we'll be talking about for that. And, of mm-hmm. course, we'll see you on Extreme Sports games, too. Oh, we'll be course. hearing lots from Ali in the the weeks and months to come. But, once again, thank you so much, Ali, for talking about some beautiful Joe and Capcom. And we hope to see you again soon. Thank you for having me, guys. Have a good one. Take care, man. See you later. What a nice young man. What a nice young man. Thank you so much, Ali, for coming on today, sharing your thoughts about Beautiful Joe. Uh, what a what a unique franchise. Oh, my God. I mm-hmm. I, I really hope that we do get that third uh, entry to the, the trilogy uh, at some point, Neil, but uh, we will see. I think we will. Of the games that we're talking about today, I think Beautiful Joe has the most chance to come back. Like we talked about with Ali, it's so unique with it in its art style and gameplay and character design and, and, and just like it's so synonymous with the GameCube generation like it you is. can't talk about GameCube without talking about Beautiful Joe it's it's a bit of a hidden gem like it's not talked about quite as much it's definitely as a cult classic as definitely as we said yeah it's not it's not quite as big as something like Metroid Prime or Super Mario Sunshine but it is one of those third-party games that like you can't not mention uh from the support of Capcom in the GameCube era where other publishers were not putting games out but Capcom were and Beautiful Joe is definitely one of those big games we still have one more game to cover today, though, Mike, before we close out the show, and that is Killer7. Mm-hmm. Killer7. What a what a wild ride that is mm-hmm. uh that's gonna be a fun one what's what's the what are the stats on that neil what do you what do you got for us sure thing killer seven a very unique game it was released on july 7th 2005 developed by grasshopper manufacturer it's published by capcom of course it's also on playstation 2 and windows this game rates a 7.5 out of 10 and is priced between 70 dollars and 100 dollars, depending on where you're looking and the condition of the game of course and Grasshopper Manufacturer is a very well-known uh, studio now, mm-hmm. especially because it was founded in 1998 by Suda51, who most gamers would know, especially Nintendo gamers, will know uh, as the creator of No More Heroes, which was, which was a really popular Wii game, uh, a game that our friend Zaffer really loves and is was really excited that it's getting a couple of uh, new entries on the Switch. Mm-hmm. And I personally love No More Heroes. I first played that in uh, university with friend of the show Brian, who was on earlier, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and friend of the show Jake. We we played that quite a bit and would watch each other play it because that also is a very unique 
kind of spin on 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 the that on that genre mm-hmm. and it, it, it was so it was so kind of quirky and wacky as well where killer seven is almost like it the, the predecessor to no more heroes in, in a way uh yeah. in terms of art style in terms of you know the assassin mentality and everything uh no more heroes was definitely the more I guess wholehearted, like fun adventure yeah. game. It, it was more refined. I think, yeah. like it's definitely the spiritual successor to Killer Seven, which makes me think that we're probably never going to get Killer Seven Two or Killer Eight. I think it's just going to be No More <laughs> Heroes <laughs> games. <laughs> Killer Eight, that'd be hilarious. But uh, no, like obviously, No More Heroes Three is uh, coming out. It's not out yet, right? Kill- no More Heroes Three. Oh yeah, I know it's been out for a while. Oh, okay. So it's at, yeah, that's on Switch and PS4. I can never remember because they also put out No More Heroes: Travis Strikes Back. Yeah, that right? was like that a was... that was like a two point five almost. That was like a smaller game. It, okay. it, it was uh, No More Heroes Three is like the real, uh, the real game. And I don't know if anyone's seen the No More Heroes E3 trailer that they had a couple years ago, but that's like that wackiness and that just ridiculousness is definitely prevalent in killer seven man mm-hmm. uh i i knew about this game i you know what's funny neil i knew that this game was always expensive i think it's always been like relatively high price uh it was one of those things that you would hear about being like oh have you did you see killer seven of that store yesterday like oh my god it was <laughs> at the time it was like 50 dollars, and that was expensive yeah. for old oh, game games those were the days man i remember <laughs> the, i remember that like back in maybe 2016 we were at one of the video game stores here in toronto and I haven't. I don't own Kill, Killer Seven, unfortunately. I wish oh, I, I had bought did. it. No, I almost bought it one day, but for some yeah. reason I didn't. I think that was the day that instead I bought Godzilla Destroys All Monsters Melee. I That's had to a good pick, choice. Yeah, I had to pick <laughs> between the two, and I'm pretty sure that was the day that I found that game. So uh, I, I'm definitely kicking myself now for not buying Killer Seven at the time. Uh, I would love a port of this game, kind of like what we got of uh, Ikaruga, which is another one of those GameCube games that's just slightly too expensive for me to want to buy it. Killer Seven's kind of in that camp now too, yeah. where I would I would love to have this game ported to Switch for twenty five bucks or something like that, uh, just to play it and see what it's all about because it does look so not unique in terms of the art style or anything because it looks a lot like the game 13 which we covered uh, a few months ago yep. similar uh, cell shaded graphics and looks like almost like a sequel to that one 13 mixed with no more heroes is, is really the art style that you have there exactly and the plot is really interesting as well the game yeah. follows an elite group of assassins called the killer seven the assassins uh, physical manifestation of a man named harmon smith uh, perform hits on behalf of the united states government uh, through these missions the killer seven uncover a deeper conspiracy regarding the role of japan and u.s politics and secrets about the nature of their organization so the subject matter of this game is very m-rated and not like a kid's game this is an actual m-rated game for not you know a lot of these M-rated games are because of just gun violence or gore, but this is basically all of it. It's got mm-hmm. sexual themes. It's got the gore. It's got the crazy amount of blood. Uh, yes. it, it's it's got the political themes and very like cra- there's some there's a lot of uh oh what's uh, there's a lot of like human trafficking stuff mm-hmm. that's brought up in this game as well. Like it's it's a really dark game and mm-hmm. um very complex and hard to get your mind around it. I, I, that's obviously on purpose. It's supposed to be kind of complex mm-hmm. in that sense, but wow, I got to say it is probably the most unique mainstream yeah. game I would say on the GameCube. Definitely. And and of the the four games that we've or I guess five technically games that we've talked about today from Capcom 5, this is the one that I'm surprised didn't take off a little bit more. Now it did fund Pseudo 51's uh studio to to produce No More Heroes eventually, but I'm kind of surprised that this one didn't enter more of the top 25 best-selling GameCube game lists. 
and yeah. more people's top tens. I feel like that this one could have had the most potential of all of them. That It's right up there with Beautiful Joe, for sure. But this one, for sure, had like the most potential of being like an M-rated game. Mm-hmm. It's what Nintendo was was you know pumping up their console to be this game really fit that gamecube messaging from the early 2001 2002 era yeah and it's it's funny that you say that too neil because um killer seven was supposed to be the the second game uh of the Mm -hmm. capcom 5 it was going to be released in 2002 right after dead phoenix and uh there was a demo that was put out in 2002 and it 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 looked like it was pretty close to being done not 100% sure what happened there. I think Capcom didn't want to put it out right away. They were just dipping their toes in at this point. And then we mm-hmm. talked about earlier how they were basically bankrupt <laughs> as right. well and right. not not doing too well on that front. So there was a lot of hesitancy, I think, to put Killer7 out at this time mm-hmm. in 2002 when they were really looking for something to make them some money. Uh, mm-hmm. And then it ended up getting pushed all the way back to you know July 2005, which is extremely late for the GameCube. Yes, yeah, we're getting into now the Wii era, where I think the Wii might have even been announced at this point, and Nintendo yeah, I think were it was definitely announced. Yeah, and even the DS was coming out now as well. So the, the GameCube, the GameCube spotlight was definitely shifting onto other things, and it already had at this point. Like we've talked about, kind of the turning point of the GameCube's life cycle was definitely Wind Waker. So anything after that was was kind of uh, hindered by the fact that Nintendo was moving on, and gamers were moving on as well to yeah. PS2, Xbox, and even the PS3 and uh, Xbox 360 in 2005, like that was not too far away at this point. So yeah, it's 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 too bad. The The first person shooter element of this game though is interesting because it's more of an on-rails shooter yes. as opposed to something like James Bond, which we talked about earlier this week. Uh, that's more of a free roaming first person shooter game. Uh, this one was more of like an on-rails shooter, almost like a first person Star Fox game that also toggled between between first person and then becoming more of like a third person action game as well. Yeah, the third person shots often from almost like an angle that you see mm-hmm. yourself running at and you are holding, I believe, the A button to run and yep. then you just uh, have to go left or right with your analog stick to, to decide which path you want to take. Mm-hmm. And so these controls were definitely strange uh, for the time and I'm, I'm sure it put a lot of people off when they first played this <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> it would have been very different from any other kind of action-adventure game that mm-hmm. um, that was happening at the time. Uh, also, the fact with the HUD, the HUD is is very, very weird. It's on the left side only as almost like a bar. Uh, hmm. That that I got like Ikaruga vibes with almost for yeah. whatever reason. <laughs> Just like yeah. seeing all your stats on the left side only rather than uh, being anywhere else on the screen. It's very different. It's very different. But I, I would love to pick this game up someday. Like I said before, I really hope that there's eventually a Switch port or we can f- or eventually GameCube game prices go down a little bit so we can play it. Honestly, it's not that bad. Like $70 is not breaking the bank or anything. Like it's cheaper than a new Switch game. There's also a really interesting mechanic here, which is uh, they're called Heaven Smiles. Mm-hmm. I don't the, know if the, you the heard enemies. about this. Yeah. Yeah. The smiles announce their presence with like a laughing sound effect that are, and they're initially. And they're initially invisible. Uh, you mu- that's when you must switch over to the first-person view and scan your surroundings to reveal the smiles. Uh, yeah. While in first-person view, movement is disabled, uh, which Capcom seemed to be really big on, especially <laughs> with Resident Evil. Uh, you couldn't move and shoot at the same time when you're in this view. And that was a big, uh, a big negative towards the game at the time uh, by reviewers that the control style was not behind its time, just too different from what everyone else was doing. So. Yep. You can probably get used to it after enough hours of gameplay, uh, but it was it was something to get used to for sure. And 
on the GameCube controller, it might be a little more complicated. Um, like we talked about uh, with on the, in the James Bond episode, the controls for certain Bond games were probably easier on PS2 than they were on GameCube. I'm thinking right now of um, Agent Underfire. That one was a bit more complicated on GameCube. But yeah. anyway, that's an interesting thing that I've never seen before in another game where like you have to switch between certain views and scan the room to kind of find your enemy. I couldn't really think of anything like that uh, before yep. that I've played. You also have to use your characters and use the different assassins to your advantage because each one mm-hmm. has different skills. Uh, for example, uh, the 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 female assassin, I forget her name, but um, they they all end in Smith because they're all like uh, physical manifestations of Herman Smith and like okay. his because he's like psychotic or or whatever, and he's able multiple to, personality disorder. I think is how they described it. Yeah, and he can actually physically manifest these yeah like those personalities, and so that's that's where the seven assassins come in. And um, yeah, the female one, uh, f- to solve certain puzzles, you need to slit her wrists. And so the blood uh, goes on the walls and you can see what is written on the walls. It's stuff like that that it's is so just messed so messed up. That's so weird. <laughs> but so uh, interesting because you have to remember what, you know, what each assassin is good at and what their skills are. So that that is a, a, a really cool part about this game. Mm-hmm. And just a cool part of what Capcom was doing at the time. Like they were trying to make original ideas that were not meant to be to yeah. become huge IP that were going to spawn sequels and, and franchises. And this is what we got. We got these really neat games that if, if this was made today, it would just be categorized as an indie one-off game made by a, a small independent studio from Japan, uh, which Grasshopper Manufacturer, Studio 51's studio, that's not an indie developer anymore by a long shot. I no. think they're not owned by Nintendo are they no no i think it's still i think he still owns them suited 51 uh, also okay. i i want to know you know why like like what suda 51 stands for like where that comes from well suda is is, is uh, the last name uh it's goichi suda and uh the nickname stems from the two parts of his given name go translates to five in japanese and ichi translates to one so it's oh. like five one suda so suda 51 Okay, me being like a, I guess a North American, I, I, I honestly thought it was had to do with Area Fifty One. Like that's <laughs> that's where my anytime I hear Fifty One, that's immediately where I went. Yeah. And also, I, I wanted to know where Grasshopper Manufacturer came from because that's also an interesting name for a development studio. Uh, Suda wanted to have a Japanese word, the Japanese word Batamon, in the company name. Bata meaning grasshopper and mon meaning a thing. Uh, <laughs> but when you put those words together, it actually translates to fake. So oh. instead, he just made the name Grasshopper Manufacturer, so he would still have that Japanese word that he wanted, and manufacturer because they make things is how he, or <laughs> the company was, was all about building things was the, uh, was the idea there behind the title. So nice. it, it's a weird name, uh, but I mean, we've had other weird names too, like Lucky Chicken Games and whatever else. So. <laughs> and their first game was released in 1999 on the PS1. It was called The Silver Case, which I've never even heard of. Uh, but this is really the first game that I've ever known Suda51 Suda for, mm-hmm. being uh, Killer7. And then the most recent game that we talked about was No More Heroes 3 which came out uh, already on Switch and PS4. And one more fun fact about Killer7 that I have here is, of course, Toronto star Tara Strong is in the game. She's a voice actor. She's one of the personalities. I believe the name oh, is She, she is the female. Okay, so she's the female assassin. Oh, yeah, because there's only one. So or, yeah. is there only one? Yep. Okay, there we go. So, yeah, she's uh, Cade Smith. And it's obvious right away that it's Tara Strong. It sounds a bit like a... Uh, uh, like Raven from uh, Teen <laughs> Titans mixed with like Timmy Turner. So very easily recognizable voice, especially at this point, since we've pretty much researched her entire body of work <laughs> in the last year and a half. The cutscenes are actually really good. I, I really oh, yeah. enjoy the cutscenes. Like the, it's, I get a big Sin City vibe from them. 
Mm, okay. Uh, you know, that like that very shadowy, dark areas with only a couple colors shown. Yes. Yeah, I, I right away just think of uh, No More Heroes because that's the game that we know from, from this studio at this point. Also, I think of uh, Mad World, which is another yeah. Capcom game which was published on the Wii. Uh, it's very similar to this game where it's lots of blood. It's it's very action-heavy. It's more of a hack-and-slash game. Uh, but that's a really fun Wii game. If you if you have a Wii out there and you want to pick up uh, Mad World, I highly recommend it. It's kind of like Killer7 in the art style, but there's no color to it. It's all black and white except for the red, which is the blood. So another very just over-the-top action game that Capcom was making, which that game might have might have supposed to have been a GameCube game. I don't know enough about it. It felt like a Capcom 5 game that was ported to the Wii. <laughs> but anyway, that's all I have to say about Killer7, Mike. Should we read the back of the case and close out the episode? Uh, well, Neil, first of all, uh, I have to talk about 1001 video games you must play before you die because Killer7 is in this book. All right, sweet. Yeah, go for it. We've heard a lot from that book today. This has been good. Killer7 is one of those few games that is genuinely impossible to classify. Part real shooter, part puzzle game, part light gun gallery, part mystery. It's video game design at its most enjoyably idiosyncratic. The game offers a frightening babble of styles and ideas that works its magic by keeping you constantly on edge rather than conforming to a chummy ritual. Compounding such a bizarre structure is an equally eccentric visual style, using sharp blasts of flat colors, bold outlines, and plentiful blood splatters. The character designs range from satam- uh, uh I don't even know what that word is. I'm just going to skip that. Sadomasochistic? <laughs> From the manacle cackle that announces the start of the game right through to the maddening finale, this is a fascinating and disturbing stuff. Here's a game that few players will genuinely love, perhaps, but everyone would be richer for trying it out at least once. And you'll learn new words too. Sadomasochistic, I believe. Sadomasochistic. Yeah, yeah, characterized that... by or deriving sexual like, like gratification. Okay. Yeah. I guess yeah, I yeah. never see that written. Like, but no. you, like when you see it written, you're like, uh, <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's too many. There's letters here that I don't know. <laughs> too many S's and O's and A's. Yeah, way too many letters here. That's funny. Yeah, great game. I, I feel like we talk so much about cell shaded games on this podcast, and then they just end. Like, there, there's no more after and this. This generation. is a late one. Yeah, it's so synonymous with the GameCube generation. I guess that they kind of got switched over to indie devs and kids games mainly like yeah. no m not too many m-rated games use the cell shaded art style except for something like borderlands comes to mind but yeah anyway let's hit the back of the case and then we'll close out the episode sounds good all right step into the mind of an assassin killer 7 tm is a hard-hitting surreal action adventure game starring Harmon smith a mysterious assassin who can harness the unique powers of his seven personalities Working together, these personalities are the Killer Seven. Their mission, stop the evil Kunlan and his minions, known as the Heaven Smile, from taking over the world. Ooh. Nice. I like that you TM'd uh, Killer Seven there. <laughs> Thank you for respecting copyright. That's why we've never seen another Killer Seven anything since then. <laughs> One thing this game probably could have ne- could have used at the time was uh, multiplayer. It's only single player. Uh, yeah. Just, mm. I, I, mean, I mean, I'm not sure what you would do with multiplayer for this game. Just an arena shooter. My mind, yeah. un, un uh, creatively, just instantly goes to a James Bond AI <laughs> bots. You know, capture the flag, team arena stuff, where you can play against each other. Maybe you can play invisible mode, where you're invisible Ooh, yeah. unless you scan for smiles and whatnot. So yep. it could have been really fun and very violent. Like there were no overly violent multiplayer games at the time. No. Other than maybe Call of Duty, James Bond. Well, like, that, but that's not like a that's this is a different kind of violence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is over the top, like uh, what sad masochistic kind of violence. Which <laughs> yeah, there you go. Definitely didn't see much of that back then or now. 
All right. So, Mike, we've covered the Capcom 5, or 4, I guess, in, in this episode. So from the list of games that we talked about today, which one would you suggest that the listeners out there pick up? Oh, that's a tough one, Neil. I mean... Honestly, they're all like maybe other than Piano Three, I, I, they're all like relatively uh, good to pick up. They're just all quite expensive, as we've seen, mm-hmm. which is too bad because uh, I would have loved to pick honestly all these games up. But I think Beautiful Joe would be my pick, the first one, the original, mm-hmm. the OG, uh, just yeah. because it's a quintessential GameCube game. It's so much fun. Like Ali said for for a while, there uh, loves this game. Uh, I I just. I just like the uniqueness of it, but mixed with mm-hmm. the, the the replayability aspect of it as well, because it is difficult and mm-hmm. it's a yeah. tough game and it makes you want to keep playing it. Where Killer7 is still a really good game, but it's just a little too crazy uh, for me. I, I'd rather yeah. just play No More Heroes at that point. So yeah, that'd be mm-hmm. my pick. Yeah, Beautiful Joe 1 for me is also my pick. I love that game. It's it's a fun beat-em-up. I get major vibes from the SNES era. Games like Final Fight, Separation Anxiety that I love to play as a kid. Game A game genre that was was blatantly missing from the N64 generation, which mm-hmm. came back strong on GameCube with Beautiful Joe. And really, it's there's nothing else like it at the time. There weren't too many 3D animated but 2D side-scrolling games where yeah. uh, it felt like you were on screen playing in a movie. I uh, talked before uh, with Ali uh, about the art style looking almost like Cuphead in a way, like that that style of, of cel-shaded animation, but in a 2D world is so cool, and, and the action is so fluid, the game runs super smooth, it's easy to pick up and play today, it doesn't take much of a learning curve, like I think a Killer7 would take today, yeah. uh, which which, yeah. which puts which puts it above Killer7 for me, even though I am... in looking for killer seven i would love to add that game to my shelf someday if you're just starting new on the gamecube and you don't own any of these games beautiful joe is certainly my pick of the five mm-hmm. so mike we what is the future of capcom i don't know how else to put this today <laughs> yeah, but yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe what is the future of the capcom five let's put it more like that like we have uh piano three killer seven beautiful joe Dead Phoenix, which is obviously never coming out, uh, and then Resident Evil is in that conversation too. But let's save that for next week. What what do you see happening with uh, with Beautiful Joe, Killer Seven, and Piano Three? I think we 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 did already touch on it a bit before, but yeah, I, mm-hmm. I think Piano Three is dead. That's not coming back. No, uh, Killer Seven, I think is no more heroes now, basically. So that's probably not going to come back, or maybe it'll get uh, a remaster of some sort. I, I can see that happening, but I I don't see them making any new content uh for that franchise um mm-hmm. and then beautiful joe i i think we will eventually get some sort of sequel some sort of end to that trilogy uh mm-hmm. which uh they have always said that it is a trilogy so yep. uh, in theory we'll get it at some point i would love to have it on the switch i i think we're so overdue for it but uh sure yeah um i think beautiful joe is really the, the last franchise other than resident evil of course that sure. um, stands the chance of having new content yeah, I completely agree. I think Beautiful Joe 3 is the most obvious choice for something to come back out of the five. And then Resident Evil 4 is a part of the conversation as well. I think we're definitely going to see a Resident Evil 4 remake at some point in the we, future. We are. We're, we'll, we're already confirmed for it. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's already happening. Like there's not going to be, there's already been sequels to that game. Uh, Resident Evil was the only game that they announced at the time was already going to have sequels. That was clear as day at the time, even then. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Beautiful Joe 3 would be excellent to have on Switch. I think it would look beautiful. It'd be perfect. <sighs> we, we, even don't have that many beat-em-ups today like it's very much a a genre that lived and died in the 80s and 90s it would stand out in the library right now of games on switch which are mainly you know mario and uh we've just had warrior which is nice and metroid is out so people are kind of in that 2d art style 
uh, mind frame again, which is nice. So mm-hmm. I think it's it's now's the time to bring it back. I was also thinking, like, what kind of developer would try something like this again? Like a Capcom 5 level of announcement where they, they announce we're coming out with five games. It's going to be exclusive for this, uh, this platform. We're not going to make sequels out of most of them. And uh, here they are. Like, I was trying to think of any developer well, that yeah, could we, do this. Yeah, we said that in the intro, right? We, we, yeah. we were, like, using Insomniac as the example. And, uh, Neil, I, I think none. I, I, I don't think this can ever happen again. It's mm-hmm. it's really unfortunate, but I, uh, there's no developer in my mind that would ever be able to do this. And that's not the developer's fault, per se. That's just because the video game industry is not what it was 20 years ago. Right. It, it, it's, it's, you know, 100 times bigger than it was 20 years ago. And that's the biggest problem right there. And uh, that's what would make it so exciting is if they did it today because <laughs> yeah. it, would, it would just be so cool. The only the only publisher that I could think of or developer that I could think of would be Platinum Games. Um, they okay. are uh, the studio, I believe, they, they came out with a game on the Wii U. They made Beautiful, not Beautiful Joe, on the Wii U, they made Wonderful 101. They also made a lot of licensed games. Like I think they did a Transformers game, a Ninja Turtle game. They also do Bayonetta. They do Scalebound, Near Automata. Um, there's a bunch of other games in here too. Vanquish. Like they do a lot of different games. They did Mad World. Okay, I talked about Mad World earlier. Oh, there you go. That's that's a Platinum Games game published by Capcom. So I feel like they're the most likely of a studio to do this. Um, I would love yeah. it, honestly, to have a studio come out and say, here's five games, these are what they're going to be, and then maybe one or two of them are great, and the rest are bad, but it would just be some some different things being pumped into the industry. It would be really neat. Yeah, it would be really neat, but um, I I personally just can't see that ever happening. No, no, not now. We're like probably 10 years removed from that ever happening <laughs> now. So, <laughs> But Mike, with that, why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 69 ooh, of the GameCube ooh. Was Cool podcast. Episode 69 will be finishing off Capcom 5 with Resident Evil 4. Of course, we had to make this its own episode. We couldn't lump it in uh, with uh, these games. Not saying that these games are bad or anything. It's just Resident Evil 4 is Resident Evil 4. Uh, right. Almost <laughs> constantly ranked as the number one, number two, number three uh, GameCube game on the system, You know, usually right behind Prime or uh, Wind Waker. Uh, this is, I'd say, one of the biggest games if not the biggest game that came out for the cube at this time and Mm -hmm. it's so universally loved yeah it's it's an it's an incredible game i'm very excited to talk about it's the gamers game of the mid 2000s it has influenced so many survival horror and third person shooters that came after it so we absolutely had to dedicate an entire episode to it and mike are we going to make any 69 references next week when we do that episode am i free to make some jokes uh no uh 68 is the sex number neil oh of course that's right (laughs) That's what Braden taught me. <laughs> but until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 68 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. We have new episodes every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us ratings and reviews so we can make the show better. If you want to support the show, you can find us on Patreon. We are The GameCube Was Cool. Then you can follow us on Instagram. We are at The GameCube Pod. Share us with your friends and family. Tell beautiful Joe, Neil says hi. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. Take care. Engine to go, go, baby. GameCube. Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. GameCube.